Welcome back once again to the Great Stories Podcast. I am your host, Ryan Weber, and I'm so glad you are listening today. Uh, What you have found is a long-format interview-style program where I bring another person into the podcast, and we talk about their life, the highs, the lows, what makes them who they are, most importantly, how they came to know Christ, and what it looks like in their life to follow Him. Uh, These interviews are unscripted, unedited, for the most part, and just unrehearsed, we just sit down and we just get to it. It's super fun, and uh, I'm so glad you decided to listen today. But there's a problem. There's a problem, folks. There's not enough people listening. Oh, no. It's a big problem because everyone needs to hear about the message of Christ's love, his character, who he is, and what he has done in the lives of real people. I don't want people to share these episodes because I want the podcast to be big or I want to make a bunch of money on it. No, not at all. Not at all. I wouldn't mind making enough to just pay for fancy microphones or something. But what we're here for is to spread the news about who Christ is. So if you hear something that strikes you that you find inspiring, click on those those thumbs up buttons. Give it a five star rating on the Spotify or the, uh, the Google playlist or uh, Apple Podcasts or whatever, so just so it comes up quicker as people are searching for it. But the best thing you can do is actually share it directly with people that you think will be impacted by it. And I know they will be. So all that said, um, I just had an amazing conversation with a friend of mine, with a friend of mine, a friend of mine, uh, who I've known for almost a couple of years now. And he's just a really cool guy who has just a really cool story, and, and we got into a lot of different subjects, actually. We talked about um, just this this crazy, uh, well, I won't tell this whole story, but we talked a lot about uh, just some depression. We talked about family relationships and, and like what happens when you get saved and, and other members of your family aren't. We talked about uh, medication for depression. Um, we talked about all kinds of stuff, and at the end, he gave us a little treat because uh, this guy is actually a rapper, a Christian rapper, and he unloaded some verses on the podcast for the first time ever. But you're tired of hearing me talk about it, so please listen to my interview with Alex Xiao. I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoyed recording it. Here we go. I have not laid eyes upon you <laughs> in like six months, right? Uh, yeah, probably more actually. Maybe more. Yeah, but I was going to say I am really looking. F- I was really looking forward to this yeah. uh, because I just haven't even had like a face-to-face conversation <laughs> with many people. So I, I was know. very excited about that in itself. <laughs> so I am excited to talk to you. Well, good. You're talking to me and whoever the heck else happens to be listening to our voices right now. Yes. Hey, everybody. Hello, everybody. Yes. Hello. Um, man. Yeah. So what? I mean. What's new with you? Like, how how is life for the last six months? Uh, how is life? Uh, I feel like an interesting question for everybody right now. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, the last uh, 2020 has been, um, you know, interesting and, and rough, just as I'm sure it is for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, for me, I've been spending my time back and forth between my apartment here in Fremont and my parents' house in San Jose. Um, okay. You know, once the quarantine started, um, I figured that I wanted to be nearby with them to help them as yeah. much as I could. You know, at the time it was like, can I help them go get groceries and all that stuff? But yeah. that quickly turned into... Uh, being told that I couldn't pick the ripest fruit and I couldn't find <laughs> the right type of groceries. And so it went from me helping them to just me being comfortable with them at home. But I think they enjoy that too. So um, yeah, nice. so quarantine has been back and forth being with my parents and yep. then um, coming back here in Fremont um, for a couple weeks at a time, usually to spend time with my girlfriend Yeah. Um, for us to be able to hang out normally and stuff yeah. like that. So. I bet she appreciates that. Yeah. You're kind of cool. So <laughs> I would hope so. Yeah, <laughs> she, I heard she likes you, man. I big, would hope that's the case. It's a big yes, deal. yeah, <laughs> that's funny. What what is work looking like then, right now? Yeah, so um, I am a product designer, a user experience designer mm -hmm. um, at this uh, startup in um, Oakland called Marquetta, and yeah, we have been working from home since March. Um, that was a pretty big adjustment for me, um, yeah. and. Yeah, I mean, um, just being a tech company, I mean, it's nice that we have all the tech that we need to be able to talk to each other, um, be productive. I think one thing mm -hmm. for me that's been challenging is being able to cut off time um, when work is over. Yeah. Um, because I just find myself working late into the night. Well, at your, times. your work is the same place you live. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Do you have like, like I'm, I'm seeing a lot of like Instagramming about home offices and these elaborate like multi-screen you know war rooms people are setting up like what where <laughs> do yeah you, do you have a different spot or are you like uh in the same spot? i have designated spot in my parents house and in uh, my apartment here the okay. main difference is just that i do have a monitor extra monitor and then i have a standing desk uh, okay. that's the main thing that i needed so that i helps. uh yeah so I, I got that in both places so that definitely helps Not the day bad. to day yeah. I had a standing desk uh, at the church for a while, mm. but I, you know, the hard part about the standing desk is that you uh, you have to stand up all day, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, surprise, yes. Like, okay, maybe I want to sit down sometimes, and then you end right. up typing over your head or whatever. Anyway, true. true. Um, yeah, are, is there? So are you are you the type of person that's like a, a thriving online person now? Like, have you fallen in love with it, or are you kind of jonesing to get back to Oakland and you know mm. do your thing? Yeah, um, you know, if I'm being honest, I do think that I might be getting more work done as oh. someone that is working from home. Um, you know, there's just a lot more heads down time, and yeah. you know, in the office, um, you know, and what I miss about the office is being able to talk to people, yeah. have lunch with people, yeah. you know, go get a coffee with people. Um, so ultimately I might be more productive at home maybe. Um, right. but I definitely miss the in-person. That's for sure. The, com the commute can be a little bit rough, um, <laughs> like a little over an hour, um, uh. each time. Yes. So I don't miss the commute at all. No. Um, but so it's a it's a mix and match. But I would say ultimately I definitely miss yeah. seeing people in person. Well, hey, for a while there there was no traffic. Yeah. It was great. Right. And because and, I I'm you know I spend the whole day out in a truck basically mm -hmm. alone with machines. Yeah. And to drive on like empty roads and stuff, you don't see anybody anywhere. Yeah. I felt like like I was in some kind of like uh, 
you know, what was that movie? I Am Legend. I Am Legend. Yeah. yeah. That's what it felt like. I was yeah. like, this is so, I was driving around San Francisco. There's only like homeless people sitting around. That's it. There's no cars, no nothing. Yeah. Really I mean, uh, I mean, I lived in San Francisco for four years and pretty familiar with the city. And yeah. uh, when the quarantine first started and I saw the pictures, it was just surreal. It's crazy. And, yeah. Yeah. And a part of me just wanted to go into the city just so I can walk around and yeah. feel what it's like with nobody there. And I, I yeah. didn't do that. But but yeah, it must have felt surreal, <laughs> yeah. though, for sure. Well, good news is the traffic is back. <laughs> for the most part, it's it's back. Yay. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. It's, although it's more, um, I would say it's more grouped into the classical rush hour times. Because mm. for a while, like right up until like in, in February, mm-hmm. it was just traffic all day. Right. On, on 880 up in here, it's just all day. There yeah. is no rush hour. It's just rush. Yeah. Now it's kind of like, you know, it's back to like that maybe the early 2000s traffic pattern where uh-huh. maybe it was somewhat predictable. It's like so, maybe normal rush hour and not like right. Bay Area or California rush hour maybe. Right. Yeah. right. Well, it'll come back. I, I have faith in people's desire to plug up the highways. They, yeah. they seem to love doing it before. So yeah, <laughs> it'll happen. They have a passion for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, so what does like an average day look like now for you then? Uh, average day is, um, just getting up around, uh, 8.30 or so, having coffee and breakfast, um, reading a little bit and, um, Mm -hmm. getting into the work day. Uh, my work days can vary quite a bit between having a day that is just literally full of meetings I'm just logging into and logging (laughs) out of, um, or it can be a somewhat free day where I have the full day to, um, my job really involves a lot of like thinking through things, thinking through like the way people use products yeah. and trying to map out what the optimal way for that would be. Yeah. And so that's like a lot of brainstorming, using a whiteboard and drawing out a lot of things and then okay. taking that and putting that into screens. And so if I'm lucky, I have like a day where I can just spend a full day doing that. Mm. Um, well, yeah, that's what you want to do. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. Your, that's what you do. Yeah. You know, you're not a professional meter. Right. That is correct. Yes. (laughs) So when you say it's user end? Yeah. User experience um, designer. So is this app based or or desktop? Um, Yeah. For me and what I work on, it is desktop only. Um, And we actually, our product is just for other businesses to use. So it's not Uh, something that is like a consumer based app, but I mean, user experience designers exist, I would say at basically any tech company now. So any tech app you can think of, um, Facebook, Airbnb, whatnot. If there is some type of experience that you are having directly with an app or with technology, then that means there's someone like me behind mm. it designing it. Anytime you click on something or right. you're looking like, how do I do this? Like, you're the guy that figures out, like, how do, how do I make this as intuitive and easy to figure out as possible? Right. Without receiving a ton of phone calls, you know, to like, how do I? Like, yeah, exactly. Like, for instance, what is maybe the app that you use the most or one of the apps you might use the most? Uh, probably the one I use at work. Mm-hmm. It, it's like a live uh, dispatching system. Got it. And it, it's called DD Mobile. DD Mobile. Got and it. And there's a there's a desktop that the dispatchers use. Right. And then it interfaces actually with our, our handheld devices. Mm. So they can put work onto us. We can uh, adjust our stats. Yeah, and everything. And these are truckers, right? Right. So everything has to be just like dummy proof like you can't click uh-huh. on the wrong thing like <laughs> right so it's very 
So that's your world then. Well, so my world would be if I was a designer at DD Mobile, I would first say, okay, there are three or four different types of people that may be using this app. And for instance, one of them is Ryan. So yeah. I need to go talk to Ryan. So the first thing that I would do is I would line up interviews with the different people huh. uh, similar to this. And I would sit down with you and ask you different questions about what your day is like, what you do, right. where your emotional state is, all these things you have to grumpy. consider. Grumpy, grumpy, always grumpy. Yeah, yes. so, so how can we make <laughs> you less grumpy with this app and and what would you need to accomplish through this app and what is your ideal way of using it yeah i would take all those findings back and say okay among these four different types of users we have these commonalities yeah. and so now how do we create a product there where like ryan logs into this every day and it is the best yeah. most wonderful experience Smooth. not only to get his stuff done but also to put him in an emotional state that's better than it was before because then they'll keep using that platform exactly right yeah and yeah. we can keep on bringing value to whoever is using it so then it would be a brainstorming process of figuring out all the different steps that you ryan yeah. would go through in using this right. trying to cover every single type of flow that we can think of yeah and then putting that into designing screens then i bring it back to you test it see how it works out for you and then refine it and just keep on going like that yeah so that would be my job essentially wow that's yeah. fun that actually sounds kind of cool yeah like um because th i think everybody has probably been using some program and then th you get to a spot and you're like why do i have to like go back or there's no way to get from here to like this next spot and th right. so that's the kind of stuff you're trying to like anticipate like oh they're gonna have to jump around and so i need a button or an easy yeah man that's exactly right that's yeah. a lot of it probably goes through a lot of phases right so there's yeah. number one like a lot of testing and then there's mm -hmm. a rollout there's probably dates you're trying to meet yeah and, and then yeah and then one of the challenges too is just being in the right mindset of knowing that there is no perfect product right. ever Right. And so you can keep on refining and refining, but ultimately in my mind, one of the best things to do is to be able to put out something that is good enough for people to get the job done right. and test it and make sure that you're refining it based off of what people are telling you. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of different challenges and, and pitfalls, but yeah, design is actually something I made a career change about three years ago. Oh. Um, and so I've only been a designer now for it's crazy coming up on two years. It's only been two years. Whoa. Um, so, That's right. Yeah, I remember you were talking about a new job and all that. Yeah, I never. Okay, what what were you? Okay, well, it's maybe this is a good time to go back in time then. Sure. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, take me then. Take me back. Like, tell me your story a little all bit. All the way. Like, how, how'd you get here? Who? Who? How, how do? How do I get to have the joy of having Alex sitting in my front room? Whew. What do should we do? I? Should I start all the way at the beginning and just? This podcast is titled Alex. Okay. <laughs> you do your thing whatever, uh, whatever you want the world to know about you get it Alrighty. well um yeah i feel like there's a lot of different spirals we could go into but um yeah i grew up um born in san jose um so not far from here obviously okay um yeah born in um san jose in 88 um i have uh one younger brother um who is two and a half years younger than me okay um let's see growing up um him and i were extremely close um oh are extremely close uh my brother and i um and uh we grew up non-religious um hmm. and so we weren't practicing anything uh no specific religion um i didn't know about church i didn't know about christianity i didn't know about the gospel hmm. um any of that um let's see and hmm. where i usually take my story um from this part is 
Um, just one of the earliest recollections I have um, when I was a kid, I think I was a really thinky kid, I guess. <laughs> um, just spent a lot of time thinking. Nice. And uh, to be honest, one of the things I just spent a lot of time thinking about was just the afterlife. And Ooh. Yeah. And I remember being really young and um, I would go into my dad's room and I would lay on the bed just staring at the ceiling and I would just think for hours about what happens after we die and do we all just turn to dust? Wow. And is time meaningless and is life meaningless, et cetera. That's a deep thing for a kid to be. Yeah. It's a little weird. Yeah. It's a little weird now that I look back on it and I think about it. Yeah. yeah, And um, what I remember is... um, I think my mom like asked me about it one time. Maybe I was in the room laying down or something like that. She came in and asked me what I was thinking about. And mm-hmm. I might've said, you know, basically what I just said to you. Obviously the parent of like a four-year-old would be pretty okay. concerned. <laughs> yeah, somewhat concerned about that. And so I think what my mom told me was some type of story about heaven. Hmm. And I don't really remember exactly what she said about heaven. I uh, don't remember exactly what she said about God necessarily. But I think from her viewpoint, it was trying to help out, you know, her four-year-old that was yeah. uh, thinking about Gosh. this, right? And um, yeah, and so that was my first exposure to God hmm. and um, the idea of heaven. And I think what was interesting was after that, you know, I don't think that she had explained to me what prayer was or that we could talk to God or anything like that. But um after that conversation i just remember i was praying every night and i didn't know it was prayer at the time but i would just Hmm. talk to god and i would ask him for things like giving my family invincibility and uh (laughs) giving us immortality um all the normal (laughs) stuff um yeah and so those that was my earliest recall of um prayer and um i guess um knowledge of god or god entering my life at four years old uh, for something four like five. that. Yeah, it was, you're a kid. I was small. Yeah, yeah, I was small. And you're contemplating eternity. Yeah. Wow, man. Yeah. I, I don't think that's a unique uh, subject to consider. Right. But that early to be like, what happens when this is all over? Like, that. that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, everybody sort of has to reconcile that mm-hmm. at least... Like, what am I going to do with that question in right. their own minds? I, I think a lot of folks just kind of prefer not to think about it much more than like, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, warm food. That's it. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I, I think, to be honest, like that reconciliation or that question and in, in, um, the question of death and the afterlife, actually, I think the more we talk, we'll see. I think that it's actually quite a theme hmm. um, in my life. Um that is interesting because I can draw it back to that point and see where that theme um, yeah. and that struggle kind of started pretty clearly. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's keep going then. So you're, um, you know, a little, little kid. What, yeah. What was, so you're, I, here's, here's a question. So you're, you're praying to, um, God mm-hmm. basically, mm-hmm. even though no one's really explained to you like what he is, who he is or what he does. Like how did, right. how, how did you assemble this idea of like, who you're even talking to or why would you talk to him? That's such an interesting thing to do. Yeah. Um, I don't recall, to be honest, too much of what I thought God's character to be. Uh, I know that I, that no one really spoke to me about what his character was about necessarily. Um, but I think it, I think for some reason I knew it, I knew God to be somebody that I could talk to and confide in and Hmm. that I could, I mean, 
ask for things for, I guess, since I was asking for immortality and uh, stuff like that. Um, but I think what's interesting looking back is I had this instinct that God was personal and I very much treated him that way. I feel like from like my earliest conversations with him. Hmm. Um, and so, um, which is, is consistent with his character. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it's like he kind of gave you a little window into who he is way ahead of time. Yeah. 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 Lucky guy. Yeah. A lot of times when I'm looking back now, I, I say, I say like, I can see like different fingerprints of God yeah. over different areas of my life. And, yes. and that was definitely for sure. Like one of them. Yeah, man. Yeah. I, I remember a, a similar time. I don't think I, I literally like prayed on my own volition mm-hmm. until like, I think my dog died mm. and I was angry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was, I blamed God. I was the classic, like, you know, fifth grader. Yeah. Blaming God when something bad happened. That was it. Yeah. I mean, I, but I think it makes sense for, um, especially for children where I think what drives us to God at some point is some type of visceral emotion. Mm. Um, you know, that obviously grief, um, is a very visceral emotion. And I think for me it was fear. Um, very much like this heavy, like visceral fear that I, that Mm. I felt. And that, that is what drove me to God too. Fear of of the unknown after yeah Yeah. exactly yeah oh yeah yeah interesting okay so keep keep going then what do we got uh let's see um growing up um i would say it was uh pretty normal um my my dad had to uh travel a lot for work and so he had a pretty crazy schedule where um for a while it was like traveling somewhere on Monday, coming back on Wednesday evening, flying out Thursday morning and coming back Friday night. Yeah, it was a lot. Um, But I really appreciate my parents. They always took the time to, you know, um, take us for family trips or take us for trips to the aquarium or the zoo on the weekend. So yeah, yeah, they really sacrificed a lot for us and um, just did a lot for us growing up. Um, And I really appreciated that too. I would say that, um, let's see, moving forward past elementary school, which was a wonderful time. Uh, I just remember <laughs> elementary school being just friends with everybody. And I, I remember leaving elementary school and I was like, wait, like people aren't just friends with everybody. What's going on? I don't get it. Uh, so elementary school was amazing. Uh, yeah. middle school was the worst ever. Oh, uh, why? <laughs> yeah. I just, um, I remember I changed districts and so none of those friends, um, came with me. And so I was completely oh, new at this middle school. Dude. My very first day of middle school, um, I walked onto campus and I had one of those rolly backpacks that yeah. my okay. mom bought for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I was walking onto campus, bell rang, all the kids were gone. Campus was empty because everyone knew exactly where their class was except for me. So I was frantically walking around looking for where my class was. And I saw two older fellas, uh, walking around and I asked them, Hey, can you help me? Like, where's my class here? They just looked at me, laughed, and they walked over to my rolly backpack and just sat on top of it and snapped the handles off and, uh, then just <laughs> laughed and went on their way. What the heck? <laughs> and so for the rest of the day, uh, my first day of middle school, I just walked around class to class, carrying my bag in the left hand and carrying my handles in the right hand. Oh. And that was the day. And I remember specifically thinking in sixth grade at the end of the day, like I'm never I, doing this again. <laughs> yeah. I remember thinking like, I'm just going to tell my mom I'm going to quit. Uh, I'm just, uh, I just, 
I guess I'm just going to quit middle school and I'll do something else and I'll be Dang done. Dang it. Yeah. Did it get any better? Like- yeah. Very, very slowly. Eventually, you know, there was a, you know, got bullied some, um, you know, uh, I think self-confidence definitely took a dip, uh, struggled a lot with self-confidence, um, mm. during that time. Um, uh, and just also just being a really, really quiet kid, yeah. uh, cause of the struggle with self-confidence for sure. Um, there were a lot of classes where I just didn't say anything the entire year. Um, and funnily that changed a lot when I got to high school, um, yeah. high school, one big thing that changed was our school was really known for speech and debate. Um, mm. that we just had a bunch of awards in it and had a great coach and a great teacher. And, um, I went in and I didn't want to do it cause I was deathly scared of talking in front of people. <laughs> and, uh, but my mom really encouraged me to do so for college applications and all that. And once I got into it, um, I did well at my first tournament, um, where essentially I was doing this, um, kind of acting, acting out like a 10 minute play. And, uh, I did well and, um, I just loved it. And, um, I ended up just falling in love with performing and acting actually. Okay. Um, and that kind of became my life, um, in high school for four years. Um, whereas everyone else, it was sports and everything like that. For me, it was, um, you know, practicing speeches and practicing acting and, um, going to tournaments like every weekend, every other weekend, something like debate tournaments. Yeah. The thing is, is, uh, it's split between speech and debate. So I didn't do anything on the debate side. And when we talk Mm. about speech, it's more so, um, acting and it would be acting out like a 10 minute play with a partner. Um, and so you compete, uh, with people and you get placed and stuff like that. Um, so I was lucky enough in my second year, my partner and I, we qualified for, um, state finals and we went to the state finals. Um, my partner and I ended up getting 11th in California and, uh, number one, um, in California that year was Zac Efron and his partner at the time. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. So maybe some of that rubbed off. I don't know. Yeah, Maybe I don't know. You, uh, <laughs> uh, I I just remember Zac thinking Efron. I did think he was amazing. Um, he was amazing in his speech. I remember getting annoyed because we were sitting in the corner finals, and usually people are talking about how good the speeches are. And I remember when he was after he was done performing, all any of the girls were talking about was just how blue his eyes were. Oh gosh! <laughs> and that was that was all I could hear people talking about Zach. Um, but he was amazing. Yeah, I guess he's a good looking guy. He is. Yeah, he is. No denying that. I'll give him that. (laughs) Yeah, I'd trade eyes with him for sure. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Shockingly blue in person. I remember that. Yeah, really? I thought that was fake for sure. (laughs) No, he had it all the way back. No, he's got it. Yeah. Dang it. He's got that thing. Yeah, he does. Dang. So would you would you work up like the same uh, like uh, skit, I, I guess, or like you'd work up, this is your best thing, and you'd bring that to every contest? Yeah, like it's that? like a continuous thing um, that you're refining, um, almost like the way that you know Broadway performers would practice a play, and you're rehearsing that over and over. You're right. rehearsing like the way you say the line. You're cutting words in and out and making adjustments to the script, right. and you're working on the blocking, um, which are like the different movements and the different notes and stuff that you want to hit. Um me and my partner would, you know, pick a play at the beginning of the year. And unless we needed to drastically change it because it wasn't working for us, we would just keep on refining and 
our school would bring in like acting coaches and stuff who would help wow. us and coach us. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a pretty big deal. Um, and so, yeah, I, I was lucky that I went to a school that had those types of resources. Which school is this? Uh, this is Leland high school. Leland. Um, okay. yes. In, uh, South San Jose. Yep. So I, I've, I've been there. Oh, okay. I've been everywhere. Yeah. Some machinery thing. I don't know. They were putting solar panels in, I think. Yes. Anyway. Actually, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, wow. That's kind of neat. Yeah. So you're, this is, this, with, this was pretty much your extracurricular activity. So you went to school yeah. and you did acting. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. It definitely was my thing where it was just uh, every day went to school then every day after school would stay probably... Uh, extra hour or two at least right um just practicing um either with a coach or just practicing with my partner yeah. um but yeah became very much my life i guess would you do musicals and stuff like that too or uh no i i would say it's a little bit different i think of like um and i i super appreciate musicals and stage acting for sure um i very much appreciate it um but i would say um the acting in the speech world was a little bit more like film acting where it's a little bit more about the subtleties and, mm. um, and I would guess like a little bit more subtle maybe in right. the nature of it. Um, and so while I appreciated musicals and all that, and I couldn't, I can't sing worth a lake. So that wasn't really an option for me. <laughs> okay. Uh, that was my next question. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh man. Trust me. I spent so, so much time wishing that I could sing and, uh, the results were just, uh, abysmal. Oh. So, yeah um but yeah uh, a lot of it was acting and um yeah but you know like i was saying like my struggles with self-confidence and mm. just being really quiet um it really flipped it around in a way that i could have never foreseen when i was a middle schooler yeah um just being able to like perform and and like act in front of you know when it was like the finals it would be you know like maybe 200 300 people at times Ooh. and um Dang. I think the type of confidence that you get from that is, I, yeah, I can't even put in words just for your, for personal growth at the time. It was yeah. huge. Yeah. Man, interesting. Yeah. I, I never did, uh, any kind of like stage acting, mm -hmm. but I, I played, uh, trombone in high school. Right. And we, so I can sort of get there with you in some ways. Cause you, you, you pick the songs at the beginning of the year Yeah. and you rehearse them and rehearse and rehearse and every single note has a spot. Yep. And then, and then there is even some choreography involved. Yeah. Because <laughs> the times, you know, you want the instruments to come up at the same, because you go to these big festivals and you have to be like just polished. Right. You look the same, you move the same. Right. And I had a, uh, a feature piece in my senior year where, you know, I'd come out and stand in front of the band and they would play the background and I would play this solo piece and everything. Uh-huh. And yeah, we would have a, relatively full auditorium i don't know a couple hundred people yeah and i, I just remember being nervous out of my mind for yes. that. and like like you because you, you have to play mm -hmm. and you you can't have your throat quivering you know right while you're trying to stand up there in front of people like that and and the worst thing so i so i'm told in the theater world is to look uncomfortable mm. when you're not when it's not part of the story whatever right but like if the audience knows that you are just like sweating bullets. It just makes the whole crowd like, Ugh, you know, they, yeah. I, I mean, it takes you out of the story. Yeah. Right? Um, because I, I think when you're watching a play or, or watching, you know, something, the, 
a real measuring mark is whether it's able to make you forget about the outside world and it's right. whether to immerse you fully into this other world and to see somebody sweating bullets or you know really obviously mm -hmm. um, being worried it just takes you out of that character so changes yeah. the energy big yeah. time definitely unless you happen to have the most gorgeous eyes in the world and then <laughs> doesn't matter yeah. apparently then you got them anyways and they're transfixed yeah, and you, you don't have to worry about get it. away with anything <laughs> yeah shout out to zach yeah amazing yeah. actor he's yes. great he's yeah great. greatest showman was awesome i love that yeah love that movie yeah. very much yeah uh, i never saw any of the other things apparently that made him famous i don't know what he did like uh uh Actually, when I saw him, he had apparently already done like a movie with Showtime, and uh, <laughs> okay. and he like the year after did uh, Summerland on WB, which I never watched. But um, I never saw that either. Yeah, and then <laughs> after that was then High School Musical, and then he was off to the races uh, and blew up at that point. Yeah, I haven't seen any of that. Yeah. So, um, shout out to Johnny and Sharon if they're listening, who oh, are yeah. the most enthusiastic. High yeah. school musical people. They I think are. I know. Yeah, they are. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've. I, I would say I appreciate musicals, but I've I've always found that they just annoy me in a lot mm. of ways. Right. Because I'm I'm in the story. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, everybody's singing. <laughs> yeah. Or everyone's dancing, and I'm like, how? How would they all know? what like what the words are yeah how do they know the dance moves like this doesn't fit like right. i was in the story now i'm somewhere else and i don't even know what to do with this like how do we right your mind is trying to break down logically how did this all happen yeah i've never yeah. seen that happen in real life right like, this is this yeah is fake story <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i definitely know others who who definitely feel the same way yeah. towards musicals yeah well so did you find yourself plugged into kind of like a, a new social crowd at that time? And it kind of, yeah, that helped with the self-esteem issues. I yes. Guess. I yeah. Definitely helped with self-esteem issues and got there slowly. But, um, yeah, I felt like I developed like a good group of friends and a good group of community and, and quite a, yeah, I think just like a mix of people and, um, yeah, I think something interesting to note there too was um, a lot of, and a lot of people um, were involved in speech and debate too. But um, I think even aside from that, um, one thing that I noticed was at the time about half my friends were Christian um, and half of them weren't. <laughs> and um, yeah, that was interesting to me. Um, so I got invited out to some praise nights um, and stuff like that for different okay. youth groups that they were a part of. Um, there were maybe like three or four folks who went to the same youth group and so um they would often invite us out to stuff so i went to one or two of them i don't think i really took anything away or remembered much except for the singing and whatnot mm. and the pleasantness of community um within the youth group uh, which i appreciated but um yeah. yeah that's that uh was one thing that i remembered was that i felt like my friends um who were christian um that something stood out um, a little bit about them um, and something was a little bit different and that's mm. something that I definitely took notice of too what kind of stuff would stand out um I would say maybe just um some things about their character and um, that's not to say like at all the people who were not Christian um you know were bad characters or anything like that at all <laughs> but um I think maybe just the characters of um yeah my christian friends and just some of the conversations we have we had and maybe like the notes of deepness 
that mm. I was able to talk to them about, um, I think stood out to me. Um, the deepness of conversation. Deepness as in like you, you could be more just yourself and accepted or. Yeah. And maybe, maybe just like being able to talk more philosophically. Ah, um, okay. The you thinker. Know, yeah. Yeah. I think it's being able to talk maybe more philosophically. And also I think um, for some of them, it was, um, I sensed maybe more emotional empathy hmm. um, in conversations with them. Interesting. Um, so um, yeah, I would say something just stuck out about virtue and character um, about the, um, the, the friends that were a Christian at the time. That's a heck of a testimony for them. Yeah. That, that you would say that even now you remember that about them. Yeah. That's a good group. Yeah, <laughs> it really was. Um, you know, it, it's like one of those things where I don't know that one of them necessarily shared the gospel directly to me or told me, you know, mm. who Jesus was necessarily, but it definitely was one of those things where it was, um, testimony through observation. Yeah. Um, and just seeing their behavior and seeing their character. That's um, amazing. Yeah, man. I have the complete opposite experience. Mm. Yeah, uh, which I'm sure is a very common story too. Yeah, for yeah. me, it was the the church kids that made me not want to be anywhere near what that was. They were worse than the regular kids. Right. <laughs> yeah, I definitely heard a lot of stories like that too. Yeah, like yeah. what whatever God's doing here is not working on you guys. <laughs> yeah, whatever is happening here is not working. Whatever yeah. you guys are into. Yeah. yeah. Well, and gosh, I mean, that's what we. Because I, I serve with AMP, right? Yep. The uh, high school group. So I have a group of seniors. And that is like their their chief mission right now in the context of that group. Mm-hmm. Every week is like I'm, I'm bumping them saying like, see that kid over there? Yeah. Sitting by himself. He's a freshman. He's scared. Doesn't know anybody. Go talk to him. Yeah. <laughs> Go talk to him. Make friends. Make him feel welcome. Yeah. Because you don't know where they're at. You know. You want you want to make a positive impact. I w- I would never want to be a part of a group that scares people like me away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, no thank you. Yeah. I mean it yeah, it really does mean the world. I just think about, you know, when I was in middle school and I was sitting on the bench alone and that's when I was like sitting on the bench alone eating lunch and terrified of like having the bullies come over and start talking to me, which yeah. happened a lot and I would just I think if somebody else other than the bullies at the time came over and started talking to me it would stand out to me a lot mm-hmm. and um i would take notice of their character whatever it might be whoever it was that wanted to talk to me at that point so yeah the impact is definitely there for sure yeah there's something powerful about somebody uh who's not obligated to yeah taking the time to like just get to know you or even say hi yeah. like a lot of times just someone a, a greeting you know is yeah. It's kind of awesome. Like, oh, you you care to notice. Yeah. Especially when you're the new kid. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big deal. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, so at, as you're checking in and out of this youth group, mm-hmm. how can I say this? What was, um, uh, were you getting closer? <laughs> like, did you feel like you were getting drawn in or what? Um, so again, I would say it uh it wasn't a it wasn't a lot of time spent. It was like a few praise nights here and there. Okay. Um but yeah, I, I would say like, you know, uh, a little bit incrementally closer in that it 
allowed me to see maybe what a community looked like in that way um, that I hadn't really seen before. Um, You know, it probably exposed me to the gospel message, even though I probably couldn't have recalled (laughs) it at the time um, as a high schooler, but got me a little closer in that sense too. Mm. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think like what I saw in the people around me and my friends, I saw that echoed at um, the youth group. And so it maybe made that connection in my mind that the people that I admire in my group of friends here for certain reasons, um, there's a whole group of those people here at this youth group Mm. and at this church. And even though it might not have led to me necessarily like going more or spending more time there, I knew that that's what that represented to me. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that was still powerful. That's powerful. Yeah, it is. Do you remember what church that was? Uh... It's like a combination of letters where I feel like there's like five different churches with a combination of like <laughs> SJCC or CCSA oh, or okay. Chinese something, something, San Jose, San Jose, Chinese something. So I could get it, could get it completely wrong, but it's CSCJC, uh, something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Who, who knows? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's one of those, one of those down in South San Jose. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. So then, uh, are, are we finished with high school? Any other highlights in there? Uh, well, that gets to um, probably you know one of the, well, yeah, one of the biggest events in my life, which was uh, when I was eighteen and a senior, and um, kind of getting ready to go off to college, but just enjoying like the last year of high school, mm. um, and getting into um, a really bad car accident that uh really reshaped um, a lot of my life Mm. um and so that was um that was december 16th and that was the last day of school before winter break started and so um that was this friday where um you know all the kids are really high on high on life uh not (laughs) high on anything else uh really just high on life um and getting to spend a few weeks um you know off and um there was a group of us who hung out afterwards at an in and out and we were all excited about the break and so we were figuring out where can we go after in and out what can we do to keep this celebration going um and then there were a couple of folks who um you know talked about a very scenic um road um a mountainside road that they like to drive on occasionally Hmm. and that we could go there take a drive and do that and so um we did that um there were two cars uh six of us in total three in the first car three in the second car i was in the second car behind the driver and um so we went over to hicks road in san jose yep and uh have you do you know that road or familiar yeah okay i think so i've never been up it okay but i've seen it Yeah, and there's like a lot of weird like legend stuff about Hicks Road that I didn't know about <laughs> that I read later, which oh, is gosh. all crazy stuff. But yeah, I mean, so for for the listeners, Hicks Road is um, going up the mountainside, really, really gravelly, unpaved, um, gets like foggy and unclear because it's going up the mountain and uh, there's no railing on the side. And even though I think it's supposed to be two-way, there is really no way that it's actually two-way. Um, and right. so it's just one of those things where you're winding around the road and you have to just keep peeking out because you don't know if another car is coming right at you. Right. Um, so yeah, um, I remember we were at a stop sign, um, kind of deep into the mountains at that point 
and uh, we were at a stop sign and the first car kind of tore off. Um, my driver tore off after him and I was just watching as the first car um, was doing some type of turn, but they flipped into the air. Oh. And um, yeah, that car started flipping, um, did three rotations in the air and then um, crashed against the mountainside, which had like all these rocks and protrusions out of it. So it crashed into the mountainside and fell back down onto the gravel road. Whoa. Um, On the roof or the wheels? Uh, I don't remember exactly. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, it was during rotation and they hit it and fell back down. So, Dude. Um, and then um, while the car was in the air, I remember my driver looking up and I it's just crazy because I can vividly remember feeling like it was slow motion Mm. um, just watching the car turn and uh, I remember kind of opening my mouth because I remember feeling like I should scream or yell or something but I was just in shock by that point and I remember actually just like having my mouth open watching the car spin and not being able to say anything the one you're in uh, uh, watching the first car. Oh, so I was in the second okay. car. So you're still observing. Yeah. 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 And so we were observing this car flipping. Um, wow. my friend in the passenger seat, she was screaming and the driver, you know, seeing this car coming at us, flipping towards us. Um, he, um, you know, veered right really hard. Um, but, um, there was no barrier on the road. And so we shot off the mountainside, what? um, and just, um, we're floating in the air and, uh, we nosedived um, all the way to the bottom um, of the mountain. And um, later on, um, I think I heard that it was like a two to three story drop or something um, that it was by the car. Oh, and um, I guess luckily, well, for sure, luckily, actually, there was a large, large tree um, at the very bottom of the mountain, huge tree. And so actually we just like nosedive straight into the tree and branches like shot into the car, stabbing through the car everywhere. So the, our car was just full with the branches, but it slowed us enough so that our car stopped and we were just stuck in the tree and we were just completely vertical stuck in the tree. Somehow what? like the, the branches and stuff didn't stab us, but you know, it went through like the windows and everything like that. Whoa. So, um, Yeah. And, uh, for me, I just remember my, I I remember thinking as we were, as we were going through the air, just thinking like, okay, you better, you better brace for impact because this is going to be bad. And I remember thinking that, and I just remember kind of watching as the car was going down and I just remember my head snapping forward really hard. And, um, the next thing I remember is just sitting in the car and I was just staring and I was dumbfounded and I was in shock and I couldn't move. I couldn't speak. I just like was really wide eyed and was just staring at the seat in front of us. And, um, we're all just sitting there. And then that's when I started to feel like just a lot of really hot blood, um, just pouring out. And, um, it was pouring all over like my left eye and I had to close my eye cause there was mm. too much. And that's when I reached up with my left hand and I, felt my face and I realized that it was all jagged and um, all of the skin was ripped and uh, so basically like most of my the left side of my face was just um, busted open um, with really deep cuts and yeah the blood was just gushing and uh, I couldn't see through my left eye so I could only use my right eye Um, and so I was still just sitting there in shock just with the blood Um, and uh then I remember my friends from the first car, um, up top, still at the, the higher end of the mountain, they, 
um, sort of yelling at us. And um, then I could hear them and they were telling us, they were yelling at us that the, uh, the car was smoking still. And so um, we needed oh to turn off the ignition. Otherwise the car was going to explode and we were all going to die. Um, and so I remember my friend in the passenger seat, she just started screaming and just trying to claw her way out. Um, again, there's like a ton of branches through the car. So it's, it was hard to do that. Are you guys off the ground? Yeah. So we're off the ground. We're suspended in the tree vertical. Um, so we're just like in the branches, not like super high off the ground, but the tree was actually holding our car. So it was like a crazy massive tree. I have uh, visions of Jurassic Park. Mm. You remember that scene? Yeah. They're hanging out in that, that Ford Explorer up, up in the tree. That's, yeah. That's it. Yeah. Very similar. Oh, my gosh. But instead of a Jeep, it was a Camry, I believe. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So the, so the people yelling at you. Yeah. Are they the ones that were flipping over? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're okay. Yep. They were what all the good. Heck? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Crazy, crazy. They, uh, they were all okay, um, except for just some heavy bruising. Yeah. Oh, that's um, understandable. Okay. Yeah. We'll give them that. Yeah. Gee. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, after they were yelling that <clears> it was going to explode, my my driver, um, you know, was frantically trying to find, get to the ignition, but um, he kept screaming like he couldn't, he couldn't find the key, couldn't turn it off. Hmm. And so I remember in that moment just sitting there with like, you know, one eye open and just still being really dumbfounded and, um, just thinking like, man, um, even if I'm able to get through all of these branches that are cluttering up the car, um, even if I'm able to, you know, somehow with one eye kind of get it open and fall through the tree, um, I don't think in the state I'm in that I'd be able to run away far enough where the explosion won't kill me. And so I remember just having this realization like, oh, I'm going to die now and um, just kind of trying to reconcile with that in the moment, um, thinking that I was going to die and just kind of readying myself for it. Um, And then I just kind of waited um, and just waited for that moment um, to come. And, um, yeah, I just waited there for a bit and, um, you know, I'm sure it was just like a couple seconds, but felt to me like a very, very long time. Yeah. It was all very slow-mo. Yeah. And, um, yeah, somehow after a while, uh, my driver said, um, that he was able to find the ignition. He was able to turn it off. Um, my, the passenger and the driver were able to kind of force their way out of the car, um, jump out and start running. Um, I was able to, um, you know, force my way out after a bit, um, find my bearings kind of, and then jump out of the tree and kind of fell out of the tree and we're walking over and my friends were kind of helping each other up, um, back up to the, to the top, um, where my other friends were. Yeah. And I just remember, I just remember one of them, um, pulling me up. And I remember when I looked up and, um, I put my hand out to grab his, I remember just the look on his face when he saw my face and the shock. And then I just knew like, Oh, okay, this can't be good. This must be bad. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, this, this must be pretty bad. And it's me. It's me. Yeah. My other friend, she saw me and then she just shrieked and started sobbing and hugging me. And I was like, Oh, okay. It's really bad. It's really bad. Oh, yeah okay um yeah so the story continues where um we were um trying to figure out what to do um the our cell phones weren't working because we were too far out to get yeah, reception that, that's way out th- i was just looking at that road yeah now. 
I've been on pieces of that in a semi. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, in go, a semi. Go figure that. Yeah. That is nuts. Not yeah. the whole thing though. Once you get further north, it gets real windy. Yeah. But, yeah. You're in the middle of nowhere, man. Yeah. And you have no car. Yeah. No cell. No car. No cars. And no cell. And not a lot of traffic. Yeah. No traffic at all, really. <laughs> and um, and it was getting dark. Um, oh gosh. And so two of my friends said that they would basically run and try to find someone, but um, you know, they they left, but I basically didn't see them again for a couple hours because, like you said, we were out in it's the middle miles. of nowhere. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I don't know how far they were able to get, but the rest of us, uh, like four of us, we just kind of huddled there, um, and it was getting dark and it was getting cold. Uh, my friend had given me some water and you know a shirt of his to try to stop the bleeding. And I remember we were just kind of huddling there together, just waiting for God knows what to happen. We didn't know, but it was dark at that point. Hmm. Um, finally, I think like two or three hours later, um, a patrol car uh, just rolled up. And <laughs> this uh, this stunned patrol, patrol person um, who got out, and you can imagine he was just kind of glassy-eyed, just looking at everything. He was looking at the... <laughs> total the totaled car on the right next to the mountain he was looking at the tr- the car stuck in the tree on the left and he was looking at us it's like what happened yeah <laughs> and he is just dumbfounded cool. but um i don't remember if he told me this or if one of my other friends heard him say this but um what was crazy was uh he said that apparently this road where we were on that this road was a road that he never ever went to he never ever patrolled there ever and that in that day at that time when he was driving by he just had this gut instinct for some reason to look there and he Ooh. didn't know why dun, dun, dun. yeah and uh that's when he rolled up and found all of us and he was dumbfounded wow so gosh man yeah and then at that point i'm, I'm sure he piles y'all in right yeah well Did he um call somebody or like what yeah, they called they called all the people you're supposed to call the police and the, the ambulances and whatnot. At yeah. first they said that we were too far in, so they were actually gonna bring in a chopper to chopper us out. Whoa. Um but ultimately I guess it was difficult because of where we were and the tree and whatnot. Yeah, so where are you gonna land it over there? Gotcha. Yes. Yeah, so eventually they had an ambulance over and you know, they loaded us up on gurneys and we got sent off to two right. different hospitals. Um, and I remember like some comments like the EMTs were making, um, I think while I was waiting and I was stuck in the gurney, which by the way is like one of the, one of the most uncomfortable things ever to be strapped to a really stiff board, um, to make sure your body is perfectly aligned and to just be strapped there for like two hours is like one of the worst things. Um, I used to do that to people, (laughs) you know, that was, that was my job. I was that guy. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> if, uh, if you didn't have back problems before we put you on it, you would for sure have them by the time you got off. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that thing is insanely uncomfortable. Um, yeah. But I remember EMTs, I, I think I overheard them talking to each other. And one of them just mentioned to the other one that this was the worst accident he had seen where nobody had died or nobody had been handicapped or crippled. And uh, what was wow. crazy about that, too, was actually, like, I think maybe, like, a month, two months or something after the accident. I remember I was just looking online, and I saw an article about an accident that occurred where we were on Hicks Road um, from kids from a different high school. And the people that were in that accident all died. Oh. Um, so he wasn't lying. I mean, it wow. was it was another accident, same road and everything. But they all perished. Um, so Dang, it was crazy. Man. Yeah. 
So then what's the... I'm, I'm assuming at that point, you know, you you have medical procedures ahead of you, like, because you, you look put together now, so... <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah, the recovery. Like, another thing they also said was... Um, if uh if i had hit whatever it i had hit that cut me which i think was the back of the front seat and i just went into it really hard and mm. kind of embedded in my face but they said if it was like a few centimeters or something to the left i would have lost my left eye um because it was so close mm. um but yeah i i was uh in the er for a while um and they thought that they would have to bring me straight into like an emergency surgery and they started like prepping me for surgery and stuff because they said the cuts were too deep eventually they had someone from Stanford like a specialist um drive over hmm. and she looked at me and she said that she could do it through sutures and so it was i think it took about 2 hours um laying there with with her working on my face um to what? do the sutures is this uh Regional Medical Center, Valley Medical Center? Uh, I don't remember. Okay. Which one? Yeah, whichever one, the trauma, one of the trauma ones near there. Yeah, it's probably regional. That's right there. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, but um, she sewed me up for a while. It was like 26 stitches in my nose alone or something like that. Dude. Um, so, yeah, that was really busted. Um, yeah, and then I remember it was crazy, too, because uh, she would give me anesthesia, obviously, for the sutures, but... The sutures took so long that after she was done with my nose, I was like, I, I, I realized that the anesthesia started to wear off so I could feel <laughs> all the sutures. Um, but I was like that anesthesia because it's injected locally. So they're injecting into your face. Right. And for me, it's like it's like when she's doing when she's sewing up my nose, like the area is right next to my left eye. And so the whole time I'm watching it go up and down. And so it just looks like the needle is coming for your eye the uh. whole time. And I was just like, oh, man. And so after a while, I was like, OK, we got to be almost done. It's fine. I can tough it out. And then I was like, are we almost done yet? And she's like, I'm almost halfway through. And then uh. I was like, forget it. Like I, it wore <laughs> off. I need the, I need the I need the drugs again. Oh, um, my gosh. Yeah, but anyways, um, after all that and the ER and everything and going back, um, yeah, I wasn't allowed to go back out in the sun for a few months right. um, because of what the sun would do with the scarring and whatnot. Um, oh. The scarring was really gnarly. Um, a lot of, I mean, it's like bright red cuts, yeah. right? And right. so um, it's, and it was all over the left side of my face and um, traveling from like the top of my face to the bottom. Um, left side and so it was pretty bad in the beginning there um, wearing medical tape every night to go to sleep mm. um, and yeah throughout the next few years actually it was a process of getting regular steroid injections um, in the face and the nose um, to try to soften up the scars and also a lot of uh, LASIK surgeries uh, when I ended up going to college in San Diego um, which were really really rough to LASIK laser mm. surgeries um, for scarring is no joke. It's uh, yeah. it's painful stuff. Yeah, it's burning you a little bit. Yeah, that's, that's... yeah. It feels like a. It feels like <laughs> someone kind of tracing the lines with a mini scalpel, um, and you can feel it. And then also, yeah, like you said, it's burning. So actually, yeah. the whole time you can smell like really, really strong burnt odor, and it kind of makes Gosh. you want to gag. Um, and it's you. Yeah, and it's you. Yeah, it's you. there's no way you can get away from it. It's like literally <laughs> on your nose, dude. Um. Ugh. Yeah. So, so yeah, there was a lot of, 
lot of that t- type of recovery. Um, I was supposed to do more surgeries, but I just opted out of it. And I was like, I just don't want to do more of it. Um, yeah. Yes, there was a lot of medical procedure stuff. And then there was just the emotional stuff too, which um, I didn't realize it at the time, but I struggled. Now now looking back, I can see that I struggled a lot with PTSD after. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it manifested in ways where I would be sitting in class and like I would just like randomly think of one like small detail from the car accident. Like it would be literally like just thinking about like how the back of the seat looked or something when we were mm. in the air. And then suddenly like once I started thinking about one thing in the story, like I couldn't shake the thought and my mind just like forced me like I needed to go back to the beginning of the story and make sure that I relived every single bit of it and tried to remember as much detail as I could. Interesting. Yeah, it was weird. And I I remember I kept thinking like, I don't want to do this. Like I'll just put it out of my mind and I just couldn't shake it. It wasn't until like I my mind went all the way back to the beginning and I tried to think of every little thing that I could think Mm. of all the way through then I would let myself stop thinking about it. But interesting. yeah, in class, like I would start shaking and, you know, randomly crying at times. Yeah. Um, and um, so, yeah, that was something I struggled with for maybe like, uh, I don't know, like six months, eight months after the accident. So it was That's a while. Fair. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, almost dying is, is not like normal. Right, right. Like that's not something that you're. It's the dumbest thing I've ever said. But like <laughs> accurate. Like accurate. It, it's not something that you're just like, okay, like this is fine. Yeah. Like that's just not part of your programming. I think as 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 people at a base level. Yeah. Like that's something we avoid. Yeah. <laughs> is yes. The, is the almost or the completely dying thing. Yes. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that's understandable. Yeah. Man. Yeah. So how then, um, yeah, I was going to, I was, well, was going to ask you how that affected you, but being, being the kid that was thinking about eternity and life yeah. after death and all that, like, how did that experience kind of plug into, to where you were at with all that stuff? Yeah, exactly. That's what I was kind of saying before, like the theme of death, um, yeah. just kind of running throughout and <laughs> It's kind of crazy, right? Because I, I was like, man, I was like this four-year-old thinking about it, maybe at a weird age, maybe younger than other people, but thinking about it really hard. And then at 18, I like pretty literally got face-to-face with it, at, yeah. you know, where there was like whatever, how many seconds in the car where I was ready to die. And um, yeah. yeah, so I think like two things coming away from that. One was that... Um, all these circumstances and coincidences, like the patrol person finding us, um, you know, not being blinded. Um, mm. they, they told me that if I was out there for maybe another 20 minutes, I would have collapsed from blood loss and it would have been hard to get me back. And so that was another thing. And what the EMT said about this being the most serious accident, no one died or crippled or whatever. I, I walked away thinking that that was too much to be coincidence. Mm. And I was very, very sure of the fact that somebody saved me um, very purposely and intentionally throughout all of that, that they saved me. And so I wanted to know who this God was that saved me. And that was a very strong notion that I came away with. Um, When did that hit you? How long afterward? I would say pretty soon afterwards. Um, you know, I I was struggling with all of that, like, you know, the PTSD and whatnot, but I also had an overwhelming sense of feeling lucky. 
and feeling very grateful <laughs> yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, yeah. So I, I thought about it a lot, and yeah, I I just felt incredibly lucky, and more than luck, I felt like it was intentional, and mm. that there was just too much um, for it to be coincidence and all that stuff. So yeah, that hit me, that hit me pretty, pretty hard and deep. And, um, so the next year when I went off to college, um, at UC San Diego, um, so in San Diego, I, um, again, I had only been to church like a couple times for youth group, didn't know the gospel, didn't really know anything about Jesus or anything. But during that first week when everybody is flyering and, you know, all the churches are handing out flyers mm. and it's like, Hey, come <laughs> to this bonfire, come to this you know, yeah. snack hangout for you to get plugged in. Right. I went down the walk section where everyone is flying and for every single um, Christian group, I picked up a flyer hmm. and I was like, I'm going to go to every single one of these. Wow. Uh, and I did, uh, which is pretty rough um, for a lot of them. I didn't know anybody, <laughs> right? I, I, I didn't know anybody and I didn't know anything about Christianity, but I just knew I wanted to be there. Uh, I ended up like the very first event I went to was uh, the Korean campus ministry, which um they spoke Korean and okay. um, didn't use English, you know, as their primary language and they were hanging out, which was a surprise to me. And so that's uh, full, full Korean then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I got there and I was really nervous because I had never been to a Christian event. Yeah. But then I was like sitting there and listening. I was like, wait, they're not even speaking English. And I was like, how am I even going to function at this event? So it was a pretty painful um, first fellowship event for me where, um, yeah, I didn't know anything that was going on. I couldn't really connect or talk to anybody. Um, anyways, that was just, that's just the first thing I remember about a fellowship event. But you kept going. I kept going. <laughs> yeah. And eventually um, ended up at Chinese Evangelical Church, um, where I felt like I was able to find a community and find people that I was able to connect with. Um, and I could see their character as well. Um, and so that ended up being the church that I got saved at um, when I was 18 in uh, fall semester or fall quarter, I should say, of my freshman year in yeah. San Diego. Yeah. Tell me about that. How did that go down? Yeah. Um, so it had been like a few weeks then of, well, I guess it's actually almost like a full quarter, almost a full quarter of going to this church, getting to know people, getting exposed to Christianity for the first time, <clears throat> asking people a lot of questions, like the most basic stuff about tithing, um, worship, and all this like really basic questions about, you know, what happens during a church service. Mm. <clears throat> Again, um, I felt like, you know, the people, uh, something again, stood out to me about like their virtue and character. And I felt like I was quickly learning, you know, different things that I never knew about. Mm. Um, and then in the fall, um, one of my friends, um, who's a few years older than me, Tim, um, he, uh, did a message on a Friday night and he led an altar call. And one of the things he said during altar call was, um, you know, if you are living life with the intent of being a good person and that's your mantra, um, you're missing the point. And um, I think that stood out to me and hit me because I think that had been my mantra up mm -hmm. to that point was just to be a good person, to be well liked, right. um, to do good and whatnot. And I think to realize that, um, that yes, ideally Christians are good people, um, quote unquote, but the way you get to that virtue and that character is a byproduct of following Jesus. 
Mm. And um, the main point is to follow Jesus and the other things will come. And I think that's what stood out to me. That's what shook me um, because of what my mantra had been before. And so that's when I felt led and like that, you know, that feeling in your chest of getting mm. up and going to the front and um, answering the altar call. So what does that feel like? I, I never did it that way. Uh, you're it, sitting there. You're like now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I remember it's like Tim, you know, Tim, Tim fed in a little line of like, of like if you are the one sitting there right now and you're feeling your heart beating really fast and you're um feeling this and that and you're feeling led to move like this is like god calling you and whatnot and that's that's how i felt at the time and like it was a very like in the moment thing for me and it was something where probably at the time even when i got up to the front i didn't know like the totality of what i was saying yes to um i knew bits and pieces probably Mm. but i felt the need to move and i felt wow you know the call more or less you were drawn in yeah yeah and i just remember when everybody i think lifted up their head i think i was the only one that accepted that day i think but yeah and then everyone came around and gave me hugs and all that and the i i had this little thought in my head of just like what just happened (laughs) i know what i got myself into yeah (laughs) yeah and so it was much more of a process of that was like the emotional step in and then time after that and weeks after that and stuff was when i mm. understood more right yeah what i had said yes to but. so you're you're kind of in a community though you, you were able to do that as a part of this church and yes so you had some people yeah very much so yeah a community that where um i was really blessed with um older brothers and sisters that i really admired and looked up to very much and many of whom actually i'm still very close to today um, we go on trips together. Um, we wow. do like calls every few months. Um, and yeah, <laughs> um, God has just blessed me so much with that community and especially older folks who have been able to expose me to certain parts of life that I feel like are maybe a step or two ahead of me so that I can see what's going on. And they, they really let me in with full vulnerability into the really tough stuff that happens. And so, yeah, God has definitely blessed me a lot. That's, that's discipleship. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's what you want everyone to experience, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So these are, these aren't people from your college for the most part. A couple were, right? Like a Uh, handful or? These folks are, yeah. It was, uh, it was, a that's college right. fellowship that's associated with the church. I see. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But some of the older people then? Uh, the older people were, were just... like maybe like a few years older than me. Like they were seniors when I was a freshman. Okay. Um, they're not old people. They're older than you people. Uh, I yeah. See. I mean, okay. there were uh, there were older people at the church <laughs> that I that uh, had a lot of influence on me too. But yeah, the people I'm thinking of particularly are like three or four years older than me maybe. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just like one step ahead. Yeah. Exactly. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, been in the game for a minute. Yeah, those those are my senior guys talking to freshmen. Yeah, that, that's it. That's what you're hoping for. That's exactly right. Yeah, nice. Yeah. So what what's the process then from there? So now you're you're a Christian. You're learning things. You're growing. Yeah, learning what, what things, growing, serving for the first time. Yeah. Um, I led a, I led a seeker small group in my third year. I think or maybe my senior year, I led a seeker small group where, you know, it was a small group, uh, me and one other person led where it was for people who, uh, were new to Christianity or didn't know anything about Christianity. 
uh, looking back now, I can see some uh, missteps I had or blasphemous things that I said, uh, <laughs> just being a very young Christian. Yes. But I think my heart was in the right place of uh, talking to them and, and trying to um, just ask them questions and whatnot um, and create community with them. Um, yeah. yeah. And, uh, I think I served on, you know, we had a prayer team and so I was serving on that for a while. So yeah, it nice. was, it was a lot of exposure for the first time to a lot of different things. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, um, yeah, at the same time, um, you know, something that I struggled, a few things I struggled with, like, um, you know, one of the things that came from the accident too was, um, I think that the, um, that fear of death, um, I think that I had at a young age, um, I think it had come back, um, you know, in a different way. And, um, you know, one of the things I say is like, I think like the ideal or the movie way, um, that you see people deal with, um, near death experiences is that the character is like, oh, that was like such a close call. It's amazing to be alive. Like I'm now going to live life to the fullest because, um, because life is so fragile. Mm. Um, but for me, I had kind of the opposite experience where I knew now just how fragile life is. I felt like this imaginary bubble of invincibility that we all feel like we have where we hear terrible stories and we're always like, oh man, that sucks. But that happens to other people, not me. Yes, That was popped in a very intentional way for me, I think, because I was like, this, the thing that I went mm. through is literally the stuff where you're like, oh, that happens to other people, not me. Yeah. And when you realize that it can happen to you and it does happen to you, uh, it shakes you up real bad. Um, for me, it shook me up where I had the opposite thought where I was like, nobody knows what's going to happen. Nobody knows what's around the corner. Mm. Um, and anything can be taken away at any point. Um, and that was a really, really, really hard thing for me to deal with. Right. Um, and I don't think that really hit me until after college. Um, when I graduated, I was going through a tough time. There was um, a lot of my really good friends where after college they were moving out. Um, I was staying in San Diego, and so a lot of my good friends that I confided in had deep relationships with. They were leaving. Um, you know, there was a romantic relationship that was ending at the time. Um, another thing that happened during college was my mom got really sick. And um, I shouldn't say she got really sick, but I should say that she had um you know kind of complications from an earlier procedure that hmm. led her to be in a lot of pain and to go to the ER um every month um that was maybe the biggest struggle that I had during college um there was a while where um she yeah had to go to the ER every month I would get a call from my dad or my brother that um she was in pain we have to take her to the ER right now we'll update you but um you know, I would just have kind of nervous breakdowns and I would be in class and I would just be kind of staring at my phone, just dreading that call and not knowing what would happen. And it was just such a constant occurrence. And when I was home, I would see it and it would be my mom hunched over the toilet, dry heaving mm -hmm. and just being in so much pain and asking her if there's anything I can do and there's nothing I can do. Um, Very helpless, right? Extremely helpless. And so mm -hmm. I was terrified of that and I was terrified of losing my mom. And at a certain point I felt like, you know, it might be a certainty or something like that. Yeah. And again, 
that's just like another confrontation with death and things being taken away right and so i think that also fed into my fear and um and yeah so at the end of college that all like culminated and um i had a really really hard time and struggled with depression a lot Hmm. um after college was over and um it was it was all that stuff that i just mentioned but i think a lot of it too was like unresolved things from the car accident and unresolved things with this from this confrontation with death um Hmm. that i hadn't really faced so yeah there was a there was a really dark time um after i graduated for a few years and, and what what year about are we talking then? Um, let's see. So like how, how long ago, basically? Yeah. So I graduated and found my job when I was like twenty three. So um, I would say that I really struggled with it from like twenty four to twenty six, or like twenty three to twenty six. Okay. I'm thirty two now, so I guess that's seven ish years ago. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Hmm yeah what did you find like helpful mm-hmm. about all that hey you know what there's a big old spider in the corner of this room I'm oh gonna, i'm gonna kill him oh I'm, i see it now yeah I'm please pause. do we're pausing this thing okay we're gonna get that guy <laughs> i'm gonna use the bathroom too man yeah okay we're back so uh we're actually back for the the second time um about a half an hour from now maybe we had a technical glitch, and my computer seems to have deleted a large chunk of our conversation. So, um, we're going to pretend you just got back from the bathroom, and I just yeah. killed that spider. Yeah. He's dead as a doornail sitting over there. I will not forget to clean the pillow. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, little, I'm a little concerned that it's just, like, sitting on the pillow somewhere, <laughs> but um, I'm just, like, trying not to look in that no, direction. But. no. I'm, I will not forget. Okay. I pledge. Okay. Um, so what <laughs> What I was... So to be transparent with the audience, we had a really great conversation. It was that, great. That we're now going to kind of go back through and sort of highlight some of the things that we, we covered because I thought it was really good. Yeah. Um, and sort of what I was asking you about was when you're in that depressive mode, right? What sorts of things were did you find helpful? What sort of things weren't helpful? What kind of things did like people say to you that were that you're like you know that worked and and what kind of like generic like Christian stuff did people say that just like that's not helpful like yeah. don't say that yeah um so for me I think it's important to start at like what my depression looked like because I know that depression can look different for everybody but um, for me it was really pushing people Mm. away because of this fear of having things that i'm attached to having people that i'm attached to that can any point be taken away right um and also really just feeling like i can't achieve what looks like a happy life or, or whatnot and that um people having ties to me is not beneficial and so i'm almost like doing them a favor by cutting myself off in a way and so for Mm -hmm. me it was pushing people away pushing people away that i cared about that i was best friends with 
right. and actively pushing them away in order to isolate myself. And so I lived pretty much a completely isolated life um, for about a year, year and a half. And what mm. that looked like was every day I would go to work. I would go into work and I would try as hard as I could to avoid talking to anybody, get through the day that way. Mm. And once I got through the day and came back, um, I would just put myself back at home and just not yeah. go out again and um, just avoid talking to people. And that was every single day. And when you get to that state of mind, um, I mean, I was just deteriorated um, right. after any point of time of living that way. Um, but for an elongated period of time, you can imagine just how deteriorated I was just internally um, in the heart, but also just outwardly, socially. I literally couldn't have a conversation with anybody. Um, people would be talking to me and in my mind, I'm doing two things. One is that I know how awkward I am and I know how <laughs> terrible I'm doing at even trying to put together a sentence. Yeah. But on the other hand, it's also like, I don't want to have a good conversation with this person because I don't want to get close to anybody. Hmm. And there is that tension. And it's just like, how are you even supposed to act close to normal with that? Um, and so for me, that's what depression looked like. Um, again, I wasn't suicidal, but I was very apathetic to life. Right. Um, you know, whether I lived or whether I died tomorrow, like I was fine with whatever and it didn't matter to me. Um, so yeah, I think like, yeah, I definitely, for the few times maybe that I was able to talk to people, you know, I did get a lot of, you know, Christian tropes, I guess, which is, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, trust in God and, you know, he's just got read your Bible. Over. Yeah, read, <laughs> Get better. yeah. Read your Bible, which obviously none of this is untrue. No, but, but I mean, speaking into the state that I was in, which I think, again, is also kind of an impossible thing to ask for other people because yeah. I'm not giving them anything. So it's like, I, I, I don't fault those people at all, but, um, but I think, yeah, what helped me most at the end of the day is when I would those few times again that I would confide in somebody and they would just be able to say to me, that sucks, but it's okay to be where you are. And, yeah. you know, sometimes I would try to explain it a little bit to people and I can see their bewilderment and I can see their confusion and just that they don't get it and they're trying to get right. it and they don't get it. And it just makes me feel even weirder. Yeah. Right? Why did I bother? Right? Yeah. But then there's other folks where I told them and what I see on their face is just letting me know that it's okay and it's okay to feel this way and it's okay to not understand why you feel this way yeah. and it's okay. And you know, it, it helped me as much as anything could at yeah. that time. Yeah. I think. Yeah. So what then, cause you, you don't appear to be a terribly depressed person today. Mm -hmm. And you can you can uh, also apparently hold the conversation, right? <laughs> Two actually, yeah, <laughs> multiple times. You can yeah. repeat old ones too. <laughs> um, but what was it then that kind of carried you out of that? What is what is the emergence? Yeah, look like for you. I mean, and and again, I, I won't say that it's like you're going to tell people here's how you do it because right. it's different for you yeah. and for whoever else. But like, how did you come out of it? Yeah. Very much different for everybody. For me, what happened was I was about a year, year and a half into that life of isolation. And at that point I pushed everybody away. Uh, one of my best friends, um, Vanessa, um, she called me up and, um, I think really got on me to tell her what was really going on. 
And I finally, again, in like a very broken communication type of way, I think got Mm -hmm. the point across of what I was going through and where my head was at. And so she suggested um, that I maybe see somebody, maybe I talk to a doctor or something like that. And for me at that point, I remember specifically holding the phone and thinking about it and thinking about how if this life, this completely isolated life where I don't have anybody in my life, where I'm doing it completely alone, both socially and in my own head um, internally, if this is the life that I choose, because this is the life that I've chose for the last year and a half, Mm -hmm. if this is the life that I choose, then there's absolutely no mystery as to what life is going to look like waking up 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 30 years from now. It's going to look exactly like this because I choose for it to be. And if there is any little part of me that still believes that there is the possibility of something better, Mm. then that's going to need to start with a choice right now. And it's going to need to, it's going to require a step of change. And, um, basically I had hit my bottoming out point. Um, I think everybody has a bottoming out point where they hit rock bottom and you come to the point where there's a decision that needs to be made. And so for me, I did get up the courage um, to be able to go see a doctor and um, talk to them about depression and get antidepressants uh, shockingly easily, uh, very easily. Um, So I was able to get those antidepressants and I was um, I was very worried about my foray into antidepressants, um, yeah. worried about things like addiction, um, worried about, um, you know, the spiritual aspect of things yep. of like feeling shame maybe. Um, and, um, yeah, but I, I got on the antidepressants, um, and they helped a little bit. Um, I could feel it gradually just, I felt a little bit more comfortable in social situations, a little bit better at piecing together sentences and conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it wasn't really until I decided to make the move um, back to San Jose to be with my parents because right. throughout the whole thing, um, the the people that I still felt tethered to that I cared about because I cared so much about their salvation um, was my parents. Um, and their well-being and so that's when i made the move up and that was probably the biggest difference maker for me was a change of scenery yeah um and so change of scenery got back up here and i um, started checking out different communities again and just started to get a little bit better day by day um, it was a very slow crawl for me and mm. i waned off the antidepressants as well um, very very carefully waning off of them right and um Yeah. And it wasn't until I, um, got to San Francisco where it was maybe like, um, the biggest, um, switch, but yeah, I got to San Francisco, was able to find a job, um, in San Francisco and moved Mm. to the city, found a church. And then I ended up being a part of a really, really close, um, men's small group. And I remember there was a specific lesson, um, during one of the weeks for small group where it was talking about change Mm. and it was talking about how, God doesn't want us to just lackadaisically look for change, but he wants us to run towards change because it's when we're running towards change um, in that uncomfortableness, in that shifting in ourselves, in that vulnerable moment, that that's when God can grow us the most. Yeah. And um, I think that hit me because up to that point in my life, I had really just been lived dominated by fear, Um, Mm. fear of what could happen, fear of death. Um, you know, fears that prevented me from taking any leaps of faith. And so that lesson stuck with me and, um, I started to just take leaps of faith and 
um, just trying it out and just trusting and running after change. Um, and I think that's where the biggest growth happened yeah. for me. Well, there's, in there's, the last a, few years. there's a certain boldness that we're afforded as, yeah. as gospel believers. Like if, if, if God is real, if Jesus is real, if he did what he did, if eternity is real, if that whole thing is sealed, then there, there's really no losing. Yeah. There's no risk. Yeah. Really. Right. <laughs> you could, you could die. Yeah. But in the grand scheme, that's actually not a bad thing either. Right. (laughs) And that's, that's exactly what it was for me because yeah, my whole thing with fear and just living in fear was, um, you know, the, the part that I struggle with most with the gospel, um, is not necessarily that there is a loving father who loves me despite my sins. Although, you know, I'm, I'm constantly, you know, understanding more and more just the implications of that and just how deep that goes. Yeah. But, um, I think, what was hardest for me to grasp or has been hardest for me to grasp is the empowerment that comes through the gospel, not just because Mm -hmm. we are new creations and he now lives in us, but also because, um, for me and my fear of death, um, that is overcome Mm -hmm. and, um, I know where I'm going and, you know, no matter what happens tomorrow or the day after or 10 years from now, um, my eternity is secure. And so for that greatest fear to be taken away um, and to really believe that, um, that helps me take leaps of faith in ways that I couldn't before. And so in that way, it's incredibly, incredibly empowering for me. So question then. Yeah. (laughs) You already know what the question is, don't you? (laughs) I do, yes. You know, I was just thinking that, uh, thank God that spider was uh-huh. up there, right? Because uh-huh. if I if I hadn't gone uh, to do that, we would have lost the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, we'd have gone in like another hour, hour and a half. The whole story, the whole car thing, everything. Yeah. Whoa. That's true. Well, thank you for your sacrifice, Spider. We appreciate you. <laughs> um, the subject of medication, I think this is worth going through. Mm-hmm. In the uh, Christian world, a lot of times people stigmatize certain medications and i feel like for some reason antidepressants is, is kind of on that list mm-hmm. um what what is your take on that how did you kind of reconcile that with, with yourself yeah i mean i think there um not skepticism or not like i, I think there should be a healthy level of discernment around it um yeah. that's for sure um i mean yeah, 90% of what we deal with is not black and white. Mm. And um, yeah. I think that's why God has given us discernment and um, different situations look different. I think for me, um, I saw antidepressants as something that could potentially help me take little steps um, because I really can't explain enough just how trapped I felt I was. Right. Um, if you, you know, just imagine someone stuck at the bottom of the well and the walls are just so high and, you know, they're smooth rock, um, <laughs> you know, that's, that's pretty equivalent You're to gonna say, just climb up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's pretty equivalent to what I felt like the, the rest of the world and everybody else lived on the surface. And mm-hmm. I was like 60 feet below trapped at the bottom of a well just looking up and listening to other people like i i had a lot of thoughts of just like man how am i ever like there's just no way that i could ever return to normal life because again it's not just that i'm deteriorated internally but 
I couldn't put together sentences and I couldn't talk to people. And I was like, if that's the case, how am I ever going to do, you know, return to right. the real world? It's just impossible. And so for me, I just thought antidepressants, maybe it's just a little step that I can take. Maybe it can help a little bit. And yeah. antidepressants is not like, you know, a sudden cure. It's, it's not like the next day I'll be singing at the mountaintops and it wasn't like that for me. <laughs> yeah. All the commercials. Yeah. That's, that's what they do. They run up. Ah, yeah. And they're singing like it's a beautiful morning. Yeah. That's uh that's definitely not what it was like for me. It yeah. was it was a very gradual, almost unnoticeable at first right. thing. Um, you know, people could even argue it's placebo effect, but mm. I don't know. But um <laughs> but yeah, I think the main point though is for me and I'm guessing for anybody that is seeking antidepressants, is that you are at a point where you have made a decision to change and right. you have you are at a point where you have made a decision to be intentional about making things different. And you have to know that it, that antidepressants, if you decide to do that is just a small, small piece of that. Right. And there's other things that need to come along with that. And so I knew that when I started taking antidepressants, that if I was serious about a change that it would require other things. And so I was doing the other three or four things, reaching back out to people, telling them where I was at, where I've been and how I'm trying to get back to a certain state and reaching out to community along with the antidepressants. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I guess that's, that's where it is for me. Um, and again, I think like there's different stages of, of uh, where people are in sadness versus depression and whatnot. And I don't know how to diagnose that necessarily, but I definitely believe in, you know, things like therapy, um, which I've been doing for years now and has helped me a great deal. And so there's a lot of different options out there. And I think it requires discernment um, with a specific situation. Well, and I think a lot of the stigma of it uh, on both ends, there's the, the person casting the judgment on the depressed person. Right. And then there's the perspective from the depressed person Mm -hmm. to say, you're a Christian. Isn't your faith strong enough? Yeah. I think that's the lie that, that people hear like, Oh, if you, if you really believed, if you just prayed hard, if you just talked to God, if you just did this, then see, it's your fault. You're not doing what you need to be doing. And, And I think that's, it's it's wrong, yeah. And, and and it's not just in that area. There's you could pick pick whatever your favorite, you know, malfunction is. Yeah. And and taking that line on things is rarely a good idea. And as far as the the medication goes, I said before there there's nowhere in the Bible that it says you know not to take advantage of Western medicine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, people have surgeries, you know, or science in general. People drive cars. All of these things are unnatural. You know, right. if you want to get down to it, but unless you want to go be Amish, yeah, you can't you can't split hairs about your favorite thing just because. And and I think that, but the depression one is is kind of a sort of a hotter subject, yeah, because it's not a visible thing. It's, yeah. it's like in your head, and just telling someone like snap out of it, that never, it's not yeah. gonna work. Or just saying, just trust God. You know, like that doesn't work. There's a difference between, and I think you, you said this. Is there? There's sometimes life really sucks, mm-hmm. and you feel bad about it. Yeah, <laughs> and and you should. Yeah, that means you're not a robot. You're a human. Right. And and there's steps to take. There's a process to get out of that. But I think you, sometimes you reach a point, and I haven't been there myself, but but I've talked to enough people where mm-hmm. life becomes 
not livable anymore. It's like yeah. you're you're not you're not in a spot where you can just take a step. Right. And sometimes right. that that medication can give you a bump. Yeah. And help you put the next foot out. And yeah. I, so I'm I'm all for that. Yeah. Absolutely. Next question then. Yeah. <clears throat> so part of the process for moving back to the Bay Area, um, you just mentioned your, your parents and your family. And, uh, you know, I think we, we share similar journeys in that way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'd love to know, like, how has your, your faith been received by mom and dad and brother and all that? And, like, like where, where are they at now? <laughs> like, yeah. how, have you, how have you done as a... Aster to your family, yes. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, when I went off to college um, and during that freshman year when I first got in, I was having a really, really hard time making friends. And um, just to give some background on my uh, relationship with my parents, um, I think when I was in high school, I was a um, pretty rebellious teenager. Not in the sense of, I actually didn't drink or do drugs, so maybe not in that sense, but in the sense of talking back to them, um, being disrespectful, you know, a lot of those classic, <laughs> classic, classic teenager things. Nice. Um, I was definitely there. And um, for me, my eyes got opened a lot with the accident. And um, just remembering laying there, um, strapped into the gurney at the ER and my mom finding me and um, just looking down and seeing her son. Um, you know, just bloodied up and, yeah. um, and just with the cuts that I had. And, um, I remember I was trying to like soothe her, make her as I was, I was laying into this strap gurney and I was <laughs> maybe trying to make jokes or something to make her feel better. But, uh, <laughs> but I mean, you just see your mom ball and break down and yeah. just hug you and clutch you. And, um, yeah. yeah, if you didn't know a mother's love, um, at that point you did then, um, yeah. And then my dad, um, who was working overseas, he flew over, um, yeah, emergency, you know, uh, trip back and came back the next day or, or two days later or whatever. And I remember coming down the stairs and he was asking where I was frantically. And I came down the stairs, he turned mm -hmm. around and he saw me and he broke down and he burst into careers into tears and he just clutched me hmm. and hugged me, which, you know, is not something that was typical necessarily. And um, again, I was struck, um, with just hmm. how much my parents loved me and, um, it was just made very evident in those, in those two situations. Um, and then I think especially after, um, becoming a Christian and just wanting so badly for my family to find, find salvation, um, and just desiring that so much for my parents. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so yeah, I was... I was having a really hard time making friends and I would call my mom actually to talk to her and, <laughs> and just tell her about how difficult it was. Um, so yeah, I think when I ended up um, finding a church and finding community and um, telling her about it, I think she was just really relieved that I didn't get into drugs <laughs> and drinking right. uh, with bad friends or whatever. <laughs> and so um, I think it was well received at that time. And my mom has some background with Christianity um, through, um, I believe my grandma was a Christian and her little brother. So my uncle 
um, is a devout Christian. Okay. Um, and, um, and she also grew up going to some kind of like maybe Christian or Catholic school. And so there was some background there too. Right. Um, but yeah, I think like they appreciated the people that they met from my community and my church. And so there's never been a problem there. Um, and, um, yeah, so my brother also, um, became a Christian shortly after me and, um, yeah. And, um, tell that little story. How did that go down? Yeah. Okay. So that story, (laughs) uh, was really awesome. Um, my brother was going off to UCLA. Um, I was, I was a fourth year when he was a freshman. And so I introduced him to a friend of mine, um, who, um, he really clicked with and um, started going to church events with and whatnot. So he got started to get a little bit of exposure to the gospel then and was exploring other religions too. Hmm. I was actually speaking for the gospel night, the altar call um, for my fellowship um, that fall, <laughs> which is actually like three years before that is when I was saved. It's the same thing you okay. Yeah, <laughs> which is funny. Yeah. And then, um, <laughs> yeah, so I asked my brother if he'd be willing to maybe take the train down from L.A. to San Diego, which I knew was a was a, take a lot of effort and um, take the train down and um, just maybe listen because I'm speaking at church and then I can drive you back up. And he said, okay. And so he came down and I pulled him aside before the message and I just told him that um, the message that he was about to hear was something that I had been praying for him about to hear. This for, is for you. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, praying for him about for the last three years or so. And I just kind of let him know that I cared about him and, um, and that, yeah. And I think, I think he was definitely impacted by that. And so he was like, Oh, okay. Okay. Like, and, and I said that we <laughs> could, um, we could talk about it and just, see what his thoughts are like afterwards yeah. uh, when I'm driving him back up, uh, gave the message, did the altar call. And it was great because there were multiple people that multiple people that got saved, but I kept darting my eyes back and forth to the back corner where I knew that he was <laughs> and was a little right. disappointed. Is um, it working? Is it working? Yeah. <laughs> a little disappointed because I didn't see him stand up, but I was like, Oh, it's okay. Yeah. And, um, after the message was over, my friend Austin came up to me and he was like, Hey, I was sitting next to Victor and you should talk to him. And I was like, why? And then he said, uh, cause he was crying. Like when you were telling your testimony and whatnot. Uh, and I was like, Oh, okay. So something happened. It was working. Yeah. <laughs> and so we got into my car about to make the drive back to LA and I asked him, um, so what did you think about it? And he just turned and he looked at me and he said, uh, I think I'm ready to accept Jesus. Hmm. And, um, that blew my mind. Um, and it was just so crazy. And I asked him if I could pray for him. Um, when we got to LA and he was like, okay. And it was great. And we were like talking and then on the drive, the two hour drive, uh, we started to get pretty tired and it ended up being a pretty dangerous drive, but we made it there in one piece and us being our two really tired selves. We pulled up outside. I prayed for him and he accepted Christ. So yes. Yeah. And so that was just, that was just like a crazy blessing from God because how often is it that, you know, I I got to be the one to share the gospel yeah. with my brother Man. when he accepted. So that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, that was I've, a crazy story. I've felt. Um, I mean, the the desire to see people you love saved is huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, of, of all the people in the world, you know, like I th- I think of my dad, my mom. Like there's a very short list, really, that that I'm like, 
Like if you if you think about it too much, it kind of bums you out. <laughs> really. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I think about like, gosh, I, I really, really want to be with my dad in heaven. Yeah. Forever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at this at this point in time, 2020, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. And you and you try and I've gotten, you know, not very far. And so, yeah, I mean, just to, to see, like, not just to witness your brother, but to witness to him and to see him get saved, that's huge. Yeah. That's huge. And then now you're, you're a testimony to your family. You're, you know, you're spending a lot of time with them. Mm-hmm. You know, you said you, you pray for dinners at home and all these yeah. things. And, like, yeah, I mean, God has sent you there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he brought you to him, and now he's sending you to them, and you're already seeing fruit come from your own family. Yeah, a, as a result, it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Again, the yeah the story with just being able to say grace. It was just like one Thanksgiving, like a few years ago. My mom asked if I could say grace before Thanksgiving dinner, and I, I was kind of surprised by that. And I <laughs> I said yeah, and then I I said grace, and then actually like the next day for normal dinner, she asked if I would say grace, and then. Um, that's just, I've, I've been able to say grace for us like every day since. And, um, (laughs) yeah. And I get to share the gospel essentially, um, each time before a meal, which is pretty crazy. That is awesome. Yeah. Uh, I am known as the family pastor. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm, (laughs) as, as far as I know, searching my memory, I'm, I'm the only Christian Weber. Okay. Like in who knows how many generations. Yeah. Um, but for whatever reason, when when it comes time for like Thanksgiving dinner or like Christmas Day or Easter, like those are the three times when it's mm. like, will you pray for the meal? I'm like, are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> you, you really want me to? Yeah. Because I'll pray and, I, and I'm ready. So I look at it as like I get maybe, you know, 90 seconds of preaching in every year you know between the Uh three meals 30 second (laughs) prayer yeah like i look at it i think about it like what's the message this year you know and uh Mm, preparing your 30 second sermon oh yeah 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 Yeah. me me and god we're working together say lord we're gonna do this we're gonna we're gonna crash this party tonight you know (laughs) (laughs) nice that's when you just have to elongate it and you're five minutes in and your family's just (laughs) waiting and they're like what's happening that's when you go to each person like lord bless my father i love this man thank (laughs) you for putting him in my life (laughs) yeah yeah that's that's the way eventually yes. you'll get it to like a two-hour sermon and get well, yeah. it all in yeah the food's gonna be cold <laughs> yeah. i'll be annoyed and they'll never ask me to pray again <laughs> i have to measure that carefully that's true yeah <laughs> uh so then um you you were in san francisco mm-hmm. okay working there and then at what point did you come to fremont like how did that, uh, how'd that go down? Yeah. So I was in San Francisco for about four years. My last year I did that career change where I had been working in tech as kind of a general project manager, but had always felt really insecure mm. um, about just my future career path. And then my last year I decided to up and quit um, my job, do a three month boot camp where, you know, you're paying for the boot camp experience and it's a really intensive experience to quickly learn design within three months. <laughs> and okay yeah it was a it was the experience where me and my fellow cohort members we were like in every day at 10 and then we would leave every day at like two or three 
in the morning and come back and do it again and it was like six days a week and uh dude it was it was a pretty crazy intensive period um you're basically taking like it's like a full year of college Mm. basically packed into like hours wise Mm. wow yeah (laughs) yeah it's a lot okay it's a lot it was like i i can't believe i'm doing this right now but (laughs) yeah but i i was lucky enough like um pretty soon after like a month after i was able to find um a job with this startup um in oakland and pretty soon after that is when i moved to fremont and so when i moved to fremont it was like new place to live a uh, new church relatively yeah. new job and so a new community that yeah. comes with the new church so yeah it was all pretty all pretty much new stuff all at the same time how'd you find so, the church if you say michelle Doan, uh, <laughs> i'm gonna just i'm walking out uh yes you are no. correct shut up yeah yeah no. Well, I mean, she's bringing a lot of the San Diego folks over, and so I would be one of them. Um, but it's actually yes. it's actually Michelle Doan and Tim Louie in Hayward. Okay. Um, Tim and okay. Jenny. Shout out to Tim and Jenny. Yeah, shout out to Tim and Jenny. Yep. Um, so I went to, um, yeah, in San Diego, uh, we all went to the same church. I didn't really know Michelle that much at the time, but... I knew her enough to reach out and ask if she had any recommendations for churches. Um, and she did. In this area. Yes, she did. And I found out Tim Louie also went to Resonate. And so I reached out to him and asked, and he gave a very glowing review. And so, um, yeah, nice. I was definitely intrigued. And I came, and I think I came like maybe like two Sundays and maybe checked out one Prime. And at that point, I was ready where I was like, if I find like, a solid church like i know it's going to take work i know it's not going to be easy but i'm ready to just plant roots yeah. and and like push through the awkward phase of finding community <laughs> and so i came like twice and then i was like okay i'm gonna move here and then that's what i not ended bad. up doing yeah so that's like, yeah, two years ago or maybe more uh it was last january yeah so really? it's been yeah so it's been a year and ooh. 10 months something like that that's it yeah what? Really? I, haven't been, I haven't been here very long yeah gosh i feel like i've I thought it was longer yeah that's crazy <laughs> well you, you fit right you got over that like social anxiety thing because you fit right in oh man the very I, first event i went to was prime thanksgiving and uh i didn't know anybody and i remember pulling up late i walked up outside and i could just hear everybody and i knew there were probably like 60 people in this house yeah and i remember i was standing outside and i could hear everybody and i was like i don't know anybody and i was like <laughs> uh this is my last chance if yeah. you want to bail you gotta bail now because this is it and yeah i was like no i'm doing it and um that's right yeah so i was just like ready to push through all the awkward phase of finding community and just get there i so. remember that party i was there yeah, I was there. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people. <laughs> that was a, that was yeah. There was too many people for me. I, I think I left. Yeah. I left relatively early because I was like, this, I can't sit down anywhere. Yeah, it's cold outside, inside. People doing karaoke really bad. So I was like, <laughs> I just can't do it. <laughs> I gotta go. Yeah, it was packed. Yeah, yeah, man. And then yeah, you you served in the grade school ministry then for majority of your time at the church for a while now yeah yeah well i mean not much you know whatever covid yeah right right but yep yeah wow so then 
I've been itching to get to this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so tell me how, wh- what is the story behind this, this person named Chase Blue? <laughs> like, how did this happen? Like, all right. So for listeners, uh, I am also a rapper, which I realized strangely, like I haven't mentioned up to this point. No, uh, that's, that's I'm shocked it didn't come up. At yeah, some point. I should have mentioned that at some point between high school and college. I feel like it's just too much, too many stories <laughs> to tell. Uh, so when I was in middle school, I started writing really, really terrible poetry, just like the worst stuff, worst uh, romantic poetry oh. you could ever believe. And it was all on my um, original desktop that I'm glad is gone now. <laughs> I can't see that anymore. Um, so I wrote all of that. When I got to um, high school, my first year of high school, I think I showed the girl that I had a crush on um, the poem. And her response was, uh, Linkin Park was becoming a thing at that time, I think. And she showed it, or, and she looked at it, and she was like, oh, that's cool. You know, some people rap who also write poetry. And then in my mind, I was like, okay, I got to rap. And uh, the, girl, the girl told me to. Yeah, exactly. And so that's when I didn't know anything about rap. I started watching Linkin Park, Mike Shinoda. Then I started watching Jay-Z. Then I started watching DMX and Exhibit and all these people <laughs> and getting into rap. And um, yeah, I just started writing. And um, when I ended up getting a car and being able to drive, I was just driving and none of my friends knew, but I was just rapping everywhere. It was just nonstop. I was huh. just practicing and rapping everywhere took me a while to find a voice, but what happened was uh, imitation is the best way to get anywhere. So I would actually take like the most extreme voices you can find. So you got Jay-Z and his higher pitched and very specifically breathy type of style. That's Jay-Z. Yeah. You got D- you got DMX, uh, which is maybe the most extreme. X, don't give it to you. That That's one. pretty good. I like that. That's pretty good. You got the throat uh, thing down. Don't get me going. I could do impressions. Okay. Well, that was, that was really good. Thank actually. you. Yeah. Thank you. That was Thank awesome. You. Thank you very much. Thank uh, you. And I also love exhibit and I love okay. Dr. Dre who are both kind of similar where they just have deep, very nice character in their, in their voices. Um, and it's very, mm. I don't know, like, a thick kind of voice that I that I like. Yeah. Anyways, I would just practice uh, maybe a little Eminem just to mix it up. You're gonna, <laughs> but that's uh, when he can he gets that points and ten points and point. <laughs> gonna get that point with the dog and a point and Alex and Alex and the pod, podcast pod. like that's wow. <laughs> that was not. I mean, it's really impressive to be able to pull the impressions on the spot. That was nice. That's Eminem, man. I listened to him when he was brand new. Yeah, when he yeah. was he was doing the the real slim shady. Please stand up. Yeah, that whole thing. I was I was all over the music videos. Carson Daly, all that. <laughs> it was great. It yeah, was great. and before that, he came from the Freestyle Olympics. But yeah, anyways, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you're doing that. You're in that world. Yeah. In secret. Oh. Man. Yeah. You imitate. I just tried to imitate everybody's voice on the spectrum from right. like really nasally to like really really deep in DMX, and then. Somehow, just one day, like I was rapping my own stuff and freestyling, and just how somehow my voice came up, and it was kind of a mix between the two, and I just figured out my voice. Um, <laughs> went off to college and um, didn't want to show anybody, uh, but I ended up kind of getting roped into showing it. One thing led to another. Was performing at little church stuff here and there. Started performing a little bit more, um, writing and recording at different places. Had like a YouTube video that went. I guess semi-viral in like a little contest and um, got a little bit of fame and then started doing shows um, between LA and San Diego and then actually 
like a little bit after college got signed to like this indie this indie hip-hop label in japan that puts out american hip-hop which is uh wow yeah okay. kind back of interesting door. it's a yeah. back door yeah yeah and i got to do like a little bit with them not as much as i wanted to but i got to do a little bit and um yeah so i was signed for a little bit and yeah i got to do a little bit of stuff and since then it's been kind of on and off and um right. uh recorded um an album that was like a few years in the making but i put that out on spotify last year so if you want to look up new beginnings um by chase blue that's blu on um spotify um, that's where you'll be able to find the album I put out there and definitely want to do more music, do more shows. It's just obviously with COVID, that's not an option, but, right. um, also the, the challenge is, um, finding like quality hip hop engineers and studios that are affordable. Right. That's, that's the tough part to get the, the production value and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can, uh, you can find cheap rates, but not quality music necessarily that right. comes out of that. So that's the tough part. Got to go see the doctor. <laughs> Doc, yeah dr dre yeah yeah man um so yeah i think i first heard you at that uh what was it like that that art festival thing or yep. what, what was that when you you wrote something and uh noelle ho yes. was your your backup like hype woman yeah shouts Mike. to shouts to noelle shout out to um, noelle background on that song um that was a song that yeah i i wrote for the resonate um arts collective and um yeah we had that that show and just that day where people got to share their talents um and just glorify god with them and yeah. it was great um it was awesome to see so many people and yeah it was like the first time that i got to show people from resonate yeah um it was a shock we're like what <laughs> what did this come that was really good i was like dang yeah i saw a lot of surprised faces which is always fun um and um noelle um i had done karaoke with her a lot um <laughs> she is a very very entertaining yes um wonderful performer likes to scream a lot yep um which is something where i kept asking her and i was like she can sing so i so i kept asking her going into it i was like you're not gonna scream right you're gonna sing <laughs> she's like yeah yeah don't worry I i'm gonna sing and i was like okay you're sure you're not gonna scream and she's like yeah the second we get up there and I'm done with my verse and I'm waiting for this wonderful like singing chorus and I it just know it's raining. I remember it. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, good memory. That's the one. And then just got blasted yeah. by just this hype train Noel <laughs> just screaming it out at the top of her lungs. That's but awesome. but it was uh it was a crowd hyper and she got the crowd hyped. So great. maybe she she went the right route and followed her instincts. What yeah. are you gonna do? Yeah, she got it right got it right that's funny yeah. so um I, you are prepared at this point to uh <clears throat> bust a rhyme up on the <clears throat> yeah um the podcast so the, the podcast <laughs> you know, bust a rhyme. <laughs> i feel like now i'm on sway in the morning but uh yeah i uh am pretty rusty from quarantine but i literally i just scribbled something the other day and um that's awesome just can do like a verse first and a half and then uh maybe we can try out a freestyle game which is so so hit or miss for me okay um it, it's we have editing power right <laughs> some some uh, uh, i uh risky risky it is it's risky all right i i tend to avoid editing right except for uh you know spider killing adventures <laughs> but uh, all right 
Well, we can try that out after okay. this. But yeah. yeah, this is a this is just a little written. I just wrote the other day just to have some fun. So the the song you're looking for then is the that uh that second one. Um Cole yeah. M something or other. Okay. Yeah, you can play that one. So let me let me drop it in here <clears throat> and then we will go. Hang on. Okay. I think it's going to work. Here we go. All right. Yeah. Chase Lou, come on, yeah. yeah, listen, I try to spit knowledge, but I can keep on falling, it's leaving me behind like the leaves do in autumn, calling back to summer, but that can be a bummer, cause the regrets can deep set and leave me now to wonder, I hover like a drone over these pastimes, the what ifs, the could be's, my favorite pastime, but I need the new seeds to water and develop, so I can grow new trees to walk the sky on Skywalker, hey, I take another name, Competition exists deep inside my veins Rain or the shine, best believe that I step up Stocked into Malone in my zone when I'm set up Written in the skies, rain all dried up Sizzle in the kitchen, the cake's all fried up You wanna hear me now, but my tongue's all tied up When it's your turn to talk, you got nothing left to say Yeah, nothing left to say Nah, just yeah. another day Nothing left to say, but Second verse, hey, hey, hey Hey, yeah, real talk, homie Hard not to live now and not feel lonely Hard not to give out to feel it all catch up See past odds that just seem to stack up Clutch the eternal so close to your chest That when the devil touched that the clutch is a vest So that it's so close, God's in every step Me and him together taking every breath Like, hey Yeah And that's it That is awesome Again, just a little doodle from the other day, but that's that. Chase Blue. Dude. Killer. <laughs> yes. I love it. Thank that, you. That's the first rap on the podcast. That hey, was, that was first really rap. good. That was really good. Thank you. Man, what a talent. Thank you. That's I so cool. That. That's, I mean, that's the first time I've been able to perform anything in a while now, so I appreciate that. Well, you hit it on the first shot. Thank you. We didn't have to pause or anything. <laughs> that's great. Wow, man. And so this is this is not like just a little hobby then. Based on that, like you you've been at this for a while. That was really polished. For a while now, yeah. Um yeah, I mean uh I mean since college, which would be like 13, 14 years ago, and yeah, for a while I mean it was serious where after college I was debating like is this something I'm going to go all in on um or not move to LA, go all in and right. try to do it for real. Um, I think the tough thing at the time was when I started really thinking about going for real, um, I started looking at the other people um, that I knew in the industry, um, some Asian American artists, um, you know, who were doing YouTube and everything like that, yeah. who from my point of view, you know, looked like they were doing it. Um, you know, they were playing shows every week, which is what I want to do. They were putting out videos, putting out music, etc. Um, but I would learn more about behind the scenes, just how much of a struggle it was and yeah. how difficult it was. And it was a really hard decision, but I just decided at that time that it was not something that I could see myself doing. Hmm. Um, and so that was a really tough thing for me. Um, but I will say that um, having money to be able to do your passion um, on the side is yes. a nice thing. It's a nice <laughs> thing to have money to feed it. That's true. Uh, the whole yeah. starving musician thing. It sounds cute. Yeah. Really romantic. Yeah. Not cool. Yeah. Yeah. It might sell movies, but uh <laughs> doesn't do my stomach. So this yeah. is an eight mile. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. 
Yeah. All right. Well, should we take a shot at this other thing? So. All right. So the freestyle. How does this work? Give me the rules. So there's a free. There's a few freestyle games I really like. Actually, fun one. A really fun freestyle game is with Jason Mraz. Um, This is a different thing, but Jason Mraz is an excellent rapper. Um, So him and his buddy go back and forth on a guitar, um, going four bars after four bars. So if you want to look that up, you should. (laughs) Um, This game, all it is, is that. I will attempt to freestyle over a beat. All right. And Ryan, if he could, would give me just a word, maybe every four lines. Now, it might be hard to distinguish exactly where the lines are, but you can also just throw words out to me, and I'll try to remember them and keep going with them. And I'm going to try to incorporate the words into the freestyle as best as I can. Um, and again, this is very hit or miss for me. All right. Um, but... Um, yeah, this is also just to to practice my freestyling ability. You know, a lot of times, um, I would say like eighty percent of the times when you are watching people freestyle, quote unquote, on radio shows and whatnot, it already. is yeah, it is a deeply embedded verse from an album, you know, two albums ago, something like that. And although I can do that for sure, um, I'd rather kind of train the ability to freestyle, which is a really tough thing to do. And so that's why, from occasion, I will ask people to play this game with me. All right. So how how many things should I like be ready to do here? Like uh, six. It's gonna depend on how long I can go, but yeah, let's do six and okay. see how that works when, out. Maybe maybe <clears throat> maybe you go and I'll, I'll just kind of know when you're out of ideas, or am I gonna stick to the four bar? I I can figure out when so four bars. So I can actually yeah I think you'll be able to figure out where the four bars are. <laughs> I can also kind of do like a point to you. Ooh. Uh, okay. When I do need it. Okay. Um, but I think just to start off and get warmed up, I'll probably just go like maybe like eight bars. Um, okay. Just getting warmed up and freestyling, and then I can throw <laughs> it over to you for the word. Okay. Whew. Hang on, I got one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> uh. Also, if if they're like crazy words, I don't know that it it like it, it'll be simpler words might be better. I'm trying to pick but... things that that in my mind have a lot of things that rhyme with it. Is that helpful? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Okay. Um, okay. I think we're good to go. All right. So let's let do me... the uh, survival of the fittest instrumental by, by mood mood beat. <laughs> What is That'd that? be uh, Mob Deep. Mob, actually. Oh, so it's for, tiny print. No, it's okay. Mob, for, is that the one? Yeah, Mob. <laughs> what did you say? Mood, mood, moody. Is it looks like mood, on a, it's moody? so tiny. I can't. Mob, so great. Mob D. Okay, yeah. that's the one. For All any right. hip hop fans, this is Survival <laughs> of the Fittest. Mob Deep classic. Nice. All yeah. right. All right. Here we go. Let's see how this works. All right. Three, two. <laughs> Yeah. Uh-huh. Ooh, All right. So, I'm going to I'm going to just start a little bit just off the top. Yeah. Go. Oh. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Freestyle flow. I try to start sicker. Everybody come to me like a tongue twister. Moment that I'm in it, I hit it up, give you a sticker. On your way out, you better have no doubt. The moment that I'm in it, I take it to the finish. I gotta keep on going, cause I have no limits. I'm gonna rock it from the start to the end. Best believe now, let's begin again. The moment that I point to you, I need a word, a noun, or a verb. Anyone will do. So let's go ahead now with the whole crew. Ryan Weber, right now, it's up to you. 
Basketball Basketball, the way it bounce You better watch out, cause I bring it to the hounds I don't need another pick, just another ounce From the moment that I'm in it, you know what it's about Podcast Podcast, podcasting Better watch out, cause I'm right here, I'm rapping Through the headphones and the microphone too I'm in the zone too, with you and your crew Next word Preacher Preacher, preacher, I call him a teacher The moment that I'm in it, yeah, I'm feeling like ether So hot, so hot, right on the spot Hand of the preacher, coming out today Ryan Kwan, come on, come out <laughs> to pray I gotta keep on going, spitting yeah. and spraying Better watch out, cause I leave you praying uh-huh. Hand sanitizer Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sanitize this, you better watch out cause I'm rapping this The rhyming this is the best you ever heard Every single noun and verb, I leave you in a hearse Every single time when I spit it So legit and I never ever start to quit it You gotta watch out cause when I get to the finish I'm gonna keep on going, I rock it with no limits Puppies Puppies, puppies, so cute, so cute, so cute What else can you say, it's so cool, so cool It threw me off a little bit, but it's okay I get back right into it I see Lily right there and she's chilling Yeah, used to be a puppy and not a villain I gotta keep on going cause I'm straight killing On this beat and I'm vibing Now I'm straight wilding Dumbbells Dumbbells, gotta lift them, lift them up high Get it to your personal best No need to rest, no time for that This is the test, are you gonna pass or quit? Hey Dude that was sick. All right. Oh man. Oh man. That is awesome. Thank you, bro. I'm amazed. How do you come up with that stuff so fast? <laughs> that was okay. That was okay. Dude. I feel like I could do a little bit better. I got it on tape. That was sweet. Great. Yes. That was so funny. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not great with the punchlines to be honest, but uh, I can usually at least try to keep it going a that little bit. That was fun. So. That was fun. <laughs> Thanks. Dude, I good love job. playing that. Thank That's you. That's so cool. Uh, all right, man. Well, hey, I got. Uh, gosh, we we've been going for this is hour three. We're about to go into. We lost man. a half hour in there. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um. How long is your longest, by the way? I, I think it's mine. It was like oh. three hours and a few minutes. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Nice. So we're like tying it. I didn't. I didn't wrap on mine though. So. <laughs> lame i feel like a loser now <laughs> everybody comes after you is gonna be like looking mm, everybody after me has to play the freestyle game. yeah they have to that bring their good one. bring their best talent yeah it's a talent show now Ooh, yeah that's a that's a fun way that's a fun way to end the pod come do your best thing <laughs> yeah yeah um sick. At, you know I'd, I'd love to wrap up with my favorite question that i love to ask everybody and that that as you as you reflect on your journey from this four-year-old laying in bed thinking about eternity and wrestling all of this stuff, you know, to now having been through what you've been through. And from what I can gauge, you know, your your faith is continuing to grow. Mm. I think this is the best version of you that's been around. I think we could agree. I'm excited mm. for what is next, right? right? All that said, what is it about? the character of Christ that you have found so beautiful as to turn your life toward him, to lead your brother to him, to write poems and rap songs about him. Like, what is it about this guy that's so beautiful to you? Mm. I think what comes to mind first is just that um, 
no matter how unfaithful we are to him, he is always and constantly faithful to us. Um, and I think the verse that always sticks out in my head is Romans eight twenty eight. Um, the verse that talks about how there is nothing that can separate us from the Lord, not our heights nor our depths, neither angels nor demons. Um, but there is just nothing that can separate us. And, um, for me, that has meant a lot, um, just through the things I've gone through, um, from being in depression and being stuck at the bottom of that well, um, and being alone with the thoughts that I had about, you know, death and about that time in the car, um, just knowing that I'm never alone and also that there is no measure of my sin that mm. could be great enough, um, to ever make him walk away, to ever make him leave. Um, you know, I feel like a lot of times when I'm picturing God and people, you know, talk about what, what is the picture in your mind or the image in your mind? Um, I watch a lot of TV and I have since I was little and I love TV. And so I always think of like the sitcom dad who is like, <laughs> who is like always the sitcom dad that somehow knows exactly like what to say in the right moment. He knows exactly <laughs> like when the character's going through something, he knows exactly yeah. when not to say something and to yeah. just sit there. And he also knows like, how to discipline with sternness and with love and when to withhold and all this stuff. Basically the sitcom dad is like the, the perfect, you know, image of Danny Tanner. <laughs> right. That's him. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, not Homer Simpson, but yeah, there's a lot of bad sitcom dads out there too, but <laughs> the good ones. Yeah. Yeah. I love but, that. But yeah, that's what I think of. And, um, you know, yeah, there's so much about those characteristics that I just love. But yeah, maybe the one that comes to mind first and strongest is just that he's a God that will never leave. And he's a God that is persistently and constantly faithful, um, no matter who I am and no matter what I do. So, Amen. Yeah. Well said. Thanks. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Well done. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for repeating a good chunk in the middle. <laughs> For rapping on the show is awesome. Yeah, that spider really threw a wrench and everything. It was that was just like the fork in the road. But. He did. <laughs> well, it's the devil spider. <laughs> we got him. Yeah, you got him. We you crushed got, him. I crushed yeah. it. We, you crushed it. I crushed him. <laughs> Everyone crushed today. Yeah. Lily, you did great too. Great job, Lily. That's awesome. All right. Thanks for listening, folks. Thank you very much, everybody. All right. Thank you all beautiful people for listening to the podcast today. Thank you so much, Alex, for coming and talking to me. That was super fun. I haven't had fun like that in a while. Uh, I want to do more of these podcasts more often. But you know what would make that happen? Is if you guys shared this episode with people you think would be encouraged by it. Uh, bringing up subjects like like just depression and pharmaceuticals, just his, his testimony, you know, the Chase Blue rap album you can find on spotify what did he say it was called it's called i wrote it down it's called uh new beginnings on spotify go check that out i'm gonna listen to it right when i'm done here uh but anyhow thanks for listening to the show again share the episodes i want this thing to get big give it a thumbs up uh, give it a five star rating share it with your friends that's how these things go um uh, yeah anyhow man i'm just i'm blown away by that that was so fun gosh i gotta do more of these all right, uh, catch another show in a couple of weeks. I got some more guests coming on. This quarantine thing's starting to lift around here, and we're getting some podcasting done. So, again, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. God bless.
oh, you're still listening. You know what that means? It's the special bonus section time. Uh, and this is a part of the show where if you just happen to leave your podcaster on or you know it's coming and for some reason you actually enjoy listening to this stuff, this is a part where I pretty much talk about whatever's on my mind. And uh, this week, I was reminded of a analogy that I've used from time to time that I thought would be kind of cool to share on the podcast. And it's, a, it's an analogy that, that I associate with... Um, trying to understand the gospel because the, the gospel is such a it's such a simple word but it's a complicated idea i think well maybe not it's, it's a it's a simple idea but the more you learn about it the more you realize there is to learn about it and it's a hard thing to understand because i could tell you the gospel right now right god's the creator sin came into the world you know sin is a curse jesus came into the world jesus is god he's the only one who could pay for sin he gave his life and because of that we're clean from sin we get to go to heaven woohoo that's the gospel okay but then at the same time you could spend the rest of your life learning about the nuances of what all that means what all that means there's a million questions about it and what i've discovered is that there is a thing in in a lot of christian life uh where you reach sort of a plateau. It's like a stagnation. And I bring this up because I've had conversations with high schoolers recently about their faith and where they feel at. And a lot of them feel like they're at a point where, gosh, I've heard everything. You know, they've, they've grown up around it. They've heard the sermons. They've heard the talks. They know the words. They know the verses. And it just seems kind of empty and flat to them. And I'm reminded of a, uh, a trip that I took a few years back. I, I, I'm one of the only 30-somethings I know that actually goes to Las Vegas with his parents. They're, they're fun people. It's not my fault. Whatever. So I was in Vegas, and we decided we're going to take a Grand Canyon tour. I was like, cool, Grand Canyon. I like, I'm like, I'm a fan of big things. I like grand things, so I want to go see the Grand Canyon. So we get on this tour bus, and we, we drive five hours out in, I don't even know where, middle of nowhere, and all of a sudden, they're like, the Grand Canyon's coming up on a right. And what the bus driver tells you is this. They say, okay, we're going to get off the bus here, and we're going to spend one hour at this location. Uh, I think we were at the, the South Rim, if I remember right. And you're going to spend an hour here, take your pictures, do all that. But then we're going to get back on the bus, and we're going to drive, you know, 15 miles down that way, and we're going to look at kind of the same area, just from a different angle. And I was like, okay, I, I don't, okay, whatever, I don't understand that. It's like, not gonna look different, whatever. So we get out of the bus and walking around, we're taking pictures, we're looking at the Grand Canyon, and I notice something start to happen after, you know, maybe a half an hour there. Is this Grand Canyon is really big? Like, it's big. They don't call it the Grand Canyon because it's a cute name. This thing is freaking huge. And what I realized is that. Your eyeballs are not far enough apart to perceive the kind of depth, uh, like longitudinally, longitude, longitudinally, longitudinally. I don't know whether you know what I mean. Far away, because you'll have a mountain down in there, and then you'll have a mountain right next to it. And what you don't realize is that the second mountain is like five miles further away. But you just, it, it's so big that you can't perceive the true depth, the true breadth of the Grand Canyon. And this is why the genius bus driver 
puts us back on the bus and has us drive 15 miles down the road so we can see the same basic area of the Grand Canyon, but now from a different angle. And this amazing things happen where you start to realize, oh, like, like moving down the road, changing your angle on this thing gives you a whole different perspective and it doesn't look flat to you anymore because you're like, wow, those look like they were next to each other. Now I can see how far apart they were. And I tell you, you really want to get a good look at things. You get in a helicopter and you <laughs> you pay a thousand bucks and you can fly around the Grand Canyon. Then you really get a good... But if you really want to understand how big the Grand Canyon is, you get on a burro and you ride a burro down inside this thing and you crawl around in it and then you'll really understand how big it is. Well, I think that understanding the gospel for a lot of us and especially for kids that have grown up in the church is a lot like the Grand Canyon. Because the, the gospel is enormous. The gospel's huge. It's, it's just you spend the rest of your life learning about it. But from the perspective of a kid who's grown up in a Christian home, gone to a Christian church, gone to youth group, gone to Awana, gone to high school group, gone to camps, gone da, 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 I think they reach a point where they're, from their perspective, from their life stage, from their life experience, I think the gospel starts to look flat to them. Where for they're not capable of perceiving how deep and how wide and how amazing it is because uh, they don't have a, a change in scenery. They don't have a change in location from from their their context of their life doesn't allow them to see the depth of the gospel. And what I've what I've discovered through doing mentoring and all that is that uh, it's major life changes that also punctuate the the middle schooler or the high schooler's understanding of the gospel. It's the similar thing as getting on the bus and driving down the street and looking at it from a different angle. It's when uh, there's a tragedy in their life, when there's some hardship or when they go to college or maybe when they take a mission trip and go build houses in Africa or something something like that gives them a little bump down the road and their their context of their life changes their experience changes and now they're seeing the gospel but their their angle has changed a little bit and it opens up more for them and this is why you know i i don't think i don't think sheltering kids from experience in life is a great thing i also don't think parents should artificially make their kids life difficult or, or introduce just turbulence that's unnecessary uh but i think for for that student, and this is what I tell my high school guys, for those students, I think it's important to communicate to them, like, just hang on, buddy. <laughs> hang on. Because it's going to get real in a minute. Like, enjoy this time. Like, the fact that you think the gospel is flat and all that, I don't see that as a huge problem. I think the world is more than happy to introduce context to your life that will expand your perspective, whether it's through great things, through big changes, or hardship. So my, my encouragement to them is to stick with it, to keep with it, to keep learning, to keep growing, you know, and, and just brace yourself and get ready. Prepare yourself so that when you do have that perspective change, you have a place to plug in the new things that you're learning. Anyway, that's what's on my mind. Thanks for listening. See ya.